when they're little tiny things, they look like little airsoft BBs with legs, and they're actually called uh, EWLs, like eels, like egg with legs. Welcome to From the Ground Up, where we talk to reptile keepers and breeders about all things cold-blooded. Sit back and have a beer with us. Well, some of you are driving. If you're driving, keep your hands tended to and enjoy the show. Welcome, everyone, from the ground up, the holiday show that we never intended to exist. You know, most shows would have a holiday show or something to bring them into the break before, because we're not going to do podcasts for the next two weeks, because one Monday's Christmas, and even though I did a show on Christmas last year, I'm not going to do that, and then New Year's is the other Monday. Right. And so... We were just going to have a regular episode tonight, but, you know, when we announce episodes, stuff Wait, happens. But it doesn't, just because it's so not it's regular be, doesn't mean it's a holiday. Yeah, yeah, but it's it's our holiday break, right? We can call it our holiday break. But there's not, okay. <laughs> but, but there's nothing holiday about this. We were supposed to have a guest on, but I think we'll be joined by our special guest later. Okay, stop jamming the keyboard. Sorry. So, we should probably get into what we usually start the show with, portcitypythons.com. We have shirts available, and it goes to support the podcast. So, if you check out portcitypythons.com, we also have available animals up on the site. We are not shipping until January, if weather ever permits, but certainly not the whole month of December because of the holidays. And other than that, if you guys are looking for coconut chip, coconut core products, we got the hookup. And that's pretty much it. Yeah. And we're never, ever telling anyone what guest is coming on ever again. Joe is still skeptical if the curse is real. And I am a full on believer. Also, this is a weird situation with this. (laughs) We finally, after like years of holding, literally, over a year of holding the microphones in our hands. Well, Melissa's going to ruin that by moving it around manually, but uh, we got we got basically, what would you call these? Uh, Brandon called them microphone arms. Yeah, they're like boom arms, but I don't know what exactly they're called. But basically, we're not holding the microphones anymore, and we have like pop filters in front of our faces, and Melissa didn't like that. Our well, because I feel like I'm about there. to hit a wall, and I feel like I'm really close <laughs> And anytime I turn to talk to Joe, I fudge it up. So what's the point? Like, well, yeah, but you can do a little like side oh, thing. Oh, like I can come all the way over here and talk oh, to you well, like that. People... That doesn't look weird at all. Yeah, okay. I know. But basically, these cost like twenty dollars, and it took us like a year, <laughs> a year to get them. I don't know why we didn't get them. Next on the list, I guess, is new mics. But we'll get there eventually. Uh, we noticed that, like, oh damn, we haven't put really like much into the actual equipment we use on the podcast. Yeah, it's because we make zero money for this. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's why. Well, I mean, yeah, technically. <laughs> we lose money by hosting it. But honestly, I mean, I told you this before, the biggest reason that I never thought to get these is because I remember back in Dallas, we tried, like, mic stands, and multiple people were like, oh, but we can't see your your mouth now, and we follow, like, what you're saying by your mouth. So if your mouth's covered, it's weird. But I guess most people listen to downloads, so that doesn't matter. 
Yeah. But I don't know. People watching live, do you like these? Let us know. <laughs> Either way, I mean, I can't throw them out now. Yeah. We've, we've committed. You but, can. They cost $20, and people can see the ghetto duct tape on them. Oh, yeah. I had a, I already had the duct tape part of them. That's why they're $20. <laughs> but... But let's talk about a little bit because I haven't really told anyone what. Oh, don't get so excited. No, I just had an idea for what we could talk about. Well, I'm about to talk about something. It may be it because today I was doing it pretty much all day. But um, all right, stop being weird. (laughs) I need wine. I've started a small mouse colony. So I got a rack and you guys can probably listen back to an episode a year ago or so where i said i would never breed rodents or something like that but i don't know i saw this post from don soderberg and i was like that's very correct meaning like everyone who does this full time at least somewhat has control over their rodent supply so it's like once you get to a certain level of animals that you have you need to control your rodent supply and even having you know one of the two having a really good supplier that you know will always have the right size rodents at the right time so you know this time of year is going to be so hard to find you a small rat because all the ball python guys are feeding off small and medium rats so it's going to be hard to find those so if you are a breeder and you're trying to you know get your females to breeding size at this time of the year it's super imperative to have small rats and medium rats available therefore the one way you can make sure that 100% is to breed them yourself. And also, not to mention the cost that it spares. It takes up a lot of time, but it also does not cost that much as far as feeding and cleaning. I mean, food is pretty cheap, and so is bedding, to be honest, because you don't have to use like higher-grade Aspen or anything like that. Therefore, like... Controlling food is just so, so important to your wallet, your sanity. And as long as it doesn't make you go insane because you're cleaning rodents more than you are messing with snakes. And if you have a significant other who really hates the idea of all of this, ask them before you go into this venture. Don't, don't ask for forgiveness. Ask for, for permission. And... Explain the cost effectiveness and maybe they will come around to it. Yeah, and that's what happened essentially. I, well, I just wanted to get a small group. So I started off with one male and three females. And I just decided to get them from the pet store when Melissa was gone and put them downstairs because I knew that she wouldn't actually notice them because they don't like, yeah, they smell. And I've heard that mice are actually worse than rats. But I mean, just the few that I have don't smell at all. I don't know if you if it's just keeping up on cleaning or I mean, obviously, probably in large amounts, they smell a lot more. But at this level, and I want to stay at the level where they won't smell i mean that's pretty important to me to be honest because i don't like it either and i get itchy and turn red and get teary-eyed when there's too much ammonia like i'm like allergic to the rat (laughs) i guess it's the ammonia but what what are you laughing at i don't know i just can't stop looking at myself in the thing you're making really weird faces because half my face is covered and it's weird well, <laughs> I feel like a, um, I your microphone. Down. I don't get it. <laughs> I don't know. Oh my god! Okay, sorry. Okay, keep talking about the mice. 
But it's just so important because it's going to save us a lot of money. And when baby time comes, baby season comes, we really, really, really need pinkies. Sometimes we need live pinkies and we don't have a good place to get those. So you can end up spending way too much money on pinkies. So it's nice to have everything available when you need them. And if you have one animal that is a picky feeder, you don't want to have to drive like... 30 minutes to go get one live pinky you know it's such a pain in the ass so it'd be nice to have them on hand and so we right now just have a six level rack and i only have two groups so i have two um 1.3s so one male three females and one's pregnant and one is pregnant and gestation i've heard is like just a little bit over a month and I have zero eye for probably knowing it's pregnant, so I'm guessing it's like further along because I don't really notice a pregnant rat or a pregnant mouse versus a non-pregnant mouse. I just hope it doesn't eat its babies. That's all I could ask for because I've heard so many things about mice in particular. If the conditions aren't right, the female will drop them and then they'll eat the babies. So I I feel like we need like a camera in there. Yeah, we need a nanny cam to see if she murders her. <laughs> but I guess litter. at the same time, like if you see it, there's no stopping it. You're not gonna go, you know. Well, I mean, if you <laughs> if you see a bloody mess and a couple missing, you might want to take the others out there. But I don't know exactly. I wish we had a a, a mouse expert on. I probably haven't done enough research on this, but I figure. I mean, rodents like to breed, right? We'll figure it out. Can't be that hard, right? But uh, you may have to do it manually, Tim. You may have to send it manually. Thank you. That's not my first rodeo. Oh, thank you. So if anyone, I'm trying to talk while Melissa's trying to get a potential guest on. And I'm kind of rambling, but trying to pay attention to see like Yeah, because he likes happening. to micromanage, even though I can do this. <laughs> so keep talking about your fun mice project. Yay. <laughs> so what I've been using for bedding is this kiln-dried pine. And it's actually a palletized pine. That they use for horses. So, a palletized. Sorry, I'm stupid. They do palletize (laughs) it in full pallets, but (laughs) they're basically compressed pellets. So, if you've ever seen like a wood burning stove, that's usually a mix amalgam of all different kinds of woods that you use for your wood burning burning stove. And basically, it's recycled hardwoods of sorts. And this one's particularly pine, and it's particularly kiln dried pine. So. From what I've heard from rodent people is that if you use regular pine, it has oils in it that will actually affect the mice negatively as far as the respiratory system goes. Apparently, they cannot breathe in that, you know, the oils that are on the wood. So the kiln dried kind of uh, minimizes that effect on them. But I don't know 100%, but that's just what I'm doing. And I know most people use wood shavings. I don't know if the pellets, I just figured I'd try it because it seemed interesting and seemed less messy. But then again, it's really heavy. So it's like, you know, I bought it in 40 pound bags and a 40 pound bag is only six ninety five. But you fill up the rack, you know, the tub that the animal's in. And it's kind of heavy. It's like five or six pounds i don't know but it's like heavier than i expected it would be a lot easier to pull out a drawer with only wood shavings in there it wouldn't you know ever weigh more than like a pound what are you saying 
Um, I don't know if Brandon is trying to give me a heart attack mm. or to help me out. But he just said in the chat, uh, Melissa, did you ever hear about that story about the guy who had a, fe- a, pr- bleh, a pregnant female mouse get out and it started a whole infestation in the house? Well, you know that. Do you know how quickly I would be gone? Yeah, but I mean, we're ready in Philly. There's already a mouse. We've not seen a mouse in our house. I saw one in the shed. Uh, I was getting the weed whacker out, and he was hanging out in the shed. Scared the shit out of me, of course. (laughs) So, you know. So, you know. We haven't seen one yet. This is why I don't want to come in This little white mouse is going to have no shot out there. People do say the ones in captivity are dumber. Yeah, who are we just talking about? I don't remember. This? To Matt, maybe? Minnetola? I don't know. Yeah, I think so. He was saying they would like get out and just hang out in the middle, like like they're not Yeah, because yeah. they're like, you know, a house cat would be a really bad example because cats are savages and turn into wild animals wherever wherever they are. But it's like, you know, it's like releasing your dog out with the wolves. I mean, you would think unless you know, conditions are favorable that they wouldn't create an infestation but i'm sure it's definitely a something that could happen but i don't know what to do <laughs> what happened whenever he does riley not have the app <sighs> oh sorry i wasn't supposed to say his name now he'll never come on <sighs> jesus christ <laughs> um he has the app it says every when he opens the link there is an error oh did he copy and paste in his browser Wow, guys, this is riveting, huh? I wonder if he's listening to this while we're messaging him. <laughs> yeah, then he could take direction straight from this live podcast because we're talking Because that's what people want to hear, yeah. you know, us giving him directions <laughs> on how to get on the podcast. So if you guys are ever wondering how to get on the podcast, it's, it can be a pain <laughs> in the ass depending on everyone's um, technology experience level. And then it's also very nuanced. Um <laughs> Just things that don't make sense. Google doesn't like to work with anything else. And yeah, and the curse just lives on, Brent. I know. Forever. Brent Quick said, handling snakes with ease, but mice freaks them out. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And for me, I thought that I didn't like the mice and the rats, but the more I have ones that are actually habituated. Because, I mean, I've seen some people like, there used to be this one local person that I would pick up from. And um, this one girl who was, like, doing it in her house, but, like, you could smell them downstairs. And then I would get them. And she... Hey, he's here. Hey. I did it. Yeah. But anyway, these rats were, like, these were, like, hungry. They're, like, biting anything that goes near it. They're, like, jumping out of the box. They're all crazy. But, I mean, my my guys are pretty nice. You know, they're pretty habituated. They're not assholes. They don't bite you. And it's nice to see them. You know, they move around and do things with their hands and, you know, being mice. It will never be nice to see mice. (laughs) It's nice to see mice. Well, hey, Riley, what's up? Nothing. Just hanging out at the house. (gasps) Thanks for coming on. Yeah. Thanks for the invite. Always happy to (laughs) chit chat. Yeah. 20 minutes notice is pretty good 
didn't have anything else going on. It was perfect timing. <laughs> I told Joe we should just have you on and I'll play Christmas music for two hours straight. And you would really love that. Uh, <laughs> awful. I see what you've done. <laughs> Trick so, me. Where did this hatred of Christmas music start? <laughs> Uh, I don't know. It's just like way too happy and jolly for me. <laughs> but you're so happy. Yeah. Am I? You're like not a not happy person. That's not true. Me. That's true. To everyone, but... maybe. <laughs> no, that's true. But I don't know. I feel like, I don't know. It just makes me uncomfortable. It's like way too much. It's like, it's just winter. <laughs> I don't know. Um, it's the day that Christ was born, Riley. Come on. I guess, it's, I guess it's because I'm not religious, so. No, but Christmas music is like the least religious thing. Yeah. It they sing about be. some really creepy stuff. Like, there's some songs, if you look at the lyrics, like, the singers, like, stalking women. It's really creepy. Yes, we all know that Baby It's Cold Outside is very you're about to start a uh, fight rapey you know, right? but I, you know just just like we all go to talk about and ignore the ingredients we listen to baby it's cold outside and ignore the rapey i don't remember the last time i went to taco bell <laughs> okay. it's been, well, yeah it's maybe been we should skip taco years yeah or my uh argument is flawed there's some places you go where you just ignore the all fast food places. Basically, we yeah. ignore the fact of how uncleanly uh, it is. Fair enough. I see where you're going there. <laughs> I don't know. We don't have anyone to judge. We're weirdos who keep snakes in our bedrooms and, and living room. <laughs> yeah. So if you can imagine a group of very jolly people, I think that we probably got hammered down in the reptile community. Yeah, we've got some, some some strong smiling forces out there for sure. <laughs> so, so what do you got going on over there? I mean, you have pythons, so you may actually be doing something while we're here doing nothing, essentially with snakes. So, yeah, I actually have a lot going on. This is probably the most I have going on this year. Um, I actually. Can you guys hear me? No, I just, I just, I just realized it's not in our earphones. Wow, no, we're, we're idiots. Stupid. Don't, don't mind us. Go, <laughs> oh, okay. go, we go can hear you, but it's coming saying. out the computer and not our earphones. Oh, okay, I'm just checking because these are relatively new, so I wasn't sure. Um, uh, so the, the Amazon tree boas are together, but I'm not expecting anything until like spring. I have one pair that is of adult age among my total group. Um, so they're um, still new to me, so I don't really know what I'm looking at uh, as far as behavior is going. So I'm just letting them do the thing. Um, I have a pair of children's pythons that I've been growing up. Um, and those were both from Andy Grossman and I've been raising those up for the last three years. And the female was pretty much up to size last year. She was giving me like a lot of, uh, swelling, side rolling, a lot of the behavior I wanted to see. And I was even like contemplating if she would, you know, would have bred and ultimately I didn't do it. And then this year they've been locking up every time I put them together and she's, 
she's massive. Like if, if she's definitely eggs, that's, you know, a given at this point, it's just whether or not they'll be fertile and all the other variables that happen, but I'm expecting a, a clutch of those. And then I'm trying for seven pairs of carpet pythons. Well, you said and, that very relaxed. <laughs> yeah. Out of the, out of the seven, there's only one that really hasn't been giving me much in the way of action to like put any weight on. Um, and that's my pair of Darwin's. I have a, a pure Darwin albino female and a hat male from uh, both animals from psychotic exotics. And they're both young. Um, so it's their first time going the males show an interest. The females kind of shy. I don't know if she's just not ready or not. She's big enough, but um, it is still, you know, plenty of time in the season, but then I've been getting tons of cuddling and courting at the very least from everything else. And then I have seen a few locks and uh, what I believe are locks just, you know, tucked behind the hide or in places where I can't see without, you know, messing with them or, or bugging them. So got a few things going. Nice. Is that, is that a mic on the thing? Can you like clip that to your shirt? Or, Cause I can hear it moving around and making all types of good noises. <laughs> I can actually. I do have a clip. It's in my gym bag. I'll just can... do. I'll just do this. Oh snap! We'll see. Yeah. Just not too much moving. So I can't do like the worm. Yeah. <laughs> actually, there was no popping that. Yeah, yeah, you did fine that time. But uh, so, children's. I mean, are those? Did you had did you cycle them just like carpets? I mean, how do you even cycle your carpets? Yeah, so they're in the same room as everything, and they're in the rack with um, a few of the the adult males and the younger animals that are going through the cycling. From everything that I was told, they don't really need to cycle all that much. They'll kind of breed pretty easily. Um, you talk to people over in Australia, and they they kind of refer to them as like the ball pythons of of the Australian ones to breed just cause it's pretty like they'll breed quite readily for you. It's more the, um, it's more the getting the baby started that I think is the challenge. But, um, yeah, they're, uh, they're fun, man. I, I kind of, let's see, I started dropping temperatures. I would say like the beginning of November ish. Uh, like, actually, no. That's the wrong calendar. <laughs> How many Sorry. calendars are you looking at? Huh? <laughs> Sorry, I still have the old NPR on that. Um, I have notes on that. No, I started uh, the weekend of Thanksgiving was when I started, or like the weekend after is when I started dropping temperatures. But prior to that, um, Sacramento was hitting like 30 degree nights. So the whole place got decently cold and I was temp gunning like, the higher cages and the lower cages and uh some of them were hitting like 68 at night and uh i get up at like 4 30 in the morning before work and i come in here and and just pop a heater on for a few minutes to flash warm the room up in the morning and um i'll come in here and then it's decently cold and i'll check on animals and they're fine um but i've steadily lowered the hot spot on all of the racks that are cycling animals to allow the hotspot at night to get down to 72 but then still come back to back up to like 87 during the daytime for um like 8 to 12 hours depending 
on what you know time in that that wave that ramping up and down is so right now it's low and then in a couple weeks i'll bring it back up um but from what i've told with children's pythons it's it's almost not necessary i would imagine they probably just pick up on you know natural pressure daylight cycle and if you if you cycle feed them that would probably help as well yeah so you just kind of let winter start it and then you may go ahead and do actual drops yeah yeah so i sort of have like a formula that i like to stick to as far as the variables i can control but the animals respond to what's going on outside um pretty 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 much annually every year um they'll sort of tell me and it's funny because now that i live in sacramento and i'm in another place um it's a new place a new reptile room i've only been in this room for 10 months uh, and i've got animals breeding and and you know, settling in nicely. Um, but I don't know the room that well. Whereas back in Santa Barbara, it was a struggle to get it cold enough. I could leave the window open all night and not worry about it here. If I let the window open at night, I'd have animals drop dead on me, uh, mm. in the winter. Cause it, it does get cold and it rains and you know, it's cold enough where I go out in the morning, I have to defrost my car before I go to work. And I haven't had to deal with that since middle school, you know? So do you, do you feel that that helps you or hinders you? I think it's helpful. I've been so excited since moving up here to see what my animals do now because I knew that there was going to be a dramatic weather change come wintertime that I didn't get for the last decade down in Santa Barbara. And I knew that the animals were going to respond differently and they've responded exactly as I thought they would. Um, they're doing well. Um, I'm not really feeding any of them, just a couple of the youngsters. And then some of the, the colubrids, like the Kribos and the Mad Hogs, I'm still feeding them just a little bit less. So now those Mad Hogs, I mean, are they very seasonal as far as like, do you have to bring them down further than your pythons or? No, to be honest, um, they're, they're getting a little bit of a drop just like everything else, but being rather equatorial there, I don't think you need to cycle them much. You could probably do with, um, you know, maybe dropping temperatures, uh, like four or five degrees a bit, uh, as far as their average in the nightfall. But I think with them, it would, it will probably be more of a wet and dry cycle season that they would respond to. Um, so my animals are not quite there yet. My female in particular needs to grow a bit more, but I, I bet you, um, if I have success, it, it won't relate to, uh, night drops. So we'll see though, cause I can't find any details, um, any records, any like notes that people have really written and published as far as like what they've done or what they've recorded. Um, they use a lot of like underground burrows in the wild and any breeding or anything that's been documented has really not been witnessed. They've just found eggshells or animals on nests or things like that um, or, you know, signs of it. Um, but they're, from everything I've gathered, they're kind of secluded, seclusive or reclusive animals and they think that like it's a communal thing. And so, yeah, I'm hoping to sort of figure out what makes them tick and, you know, I'll probably fail a few times before I figure it out. So. It'll be fun to learn. Are you cohabbing them over winter or you think it's going to be more of a spring thing? Uh, right now I have them isolated just because um, I've only had them for about a year, a little over a year now. And at first I was cohabbing them and they were doing just fine, but it was hard to keep track of who was eating um, because they wouldn't eat in front of me. I would have to like show them the food. They'd get really upset and they'd take off. They'd musk, they'd fling urates, they'd take off. They'd do the whole thing. They'd get really upset at me. 
And then I just leave the food and it'd be gone a couple hours later or by morning. Uh, and then I'd have to really thoroughly inspect animals, see who had the lump, you know, and who didn't. And sometimes it's hard to tell because they don't eat big prey anyway. So I don't give them huge items. So it's, it doesn't always leave a lump. Um, so I was having trouble with that. And I noticed my males were starting to get uh, bigger or the two that I, I'm pretty sure I'm in. Um, I'd like to double check one of them, but um yeah, the female just shed and she's getting bigger. She's she's great. So, but they're in 41 quart tubs right now and they're doing really well. It's actually helped keep them calm because they're like ridiculously responsive to external stimuli. So when I had them communally, they're in a big sort of glass front and they just would freak out every time people walked by, you turn the lights on or whatever. They just like spazzed quite a bit. So um I think as much as you know they are probably a fun species to watch in a in an enclosure once they're maybe a little bit more established right now i think they're doing well being in a rack system yeah do you see i mean any changes over time in general as far as because i mean when when did you import those or when did you get them from an importer were they wild caught yeah so they're all wild caught um the first male i got in uh is a full grown adult. He really hasn't grown in the last year that I've had him. I've had him for yeah, a little over about a year now. And then the other two, I got like a month later, um, as a pair, same importer. And, uh, the first male, he had been in the country for maybe three months. So he was already eating really well. And, um, he's a bit more mellow. The other two were only in for maybe a month or so. Um, so everybody that came in, got another round of treatment of, um, I think I gave him some fembendazole and a few like a dewormer and some stuff and did that a few times and some food and um they're actually really clean um and uh yeah they they they've gotten better like they can the first one was really rough when he came in like he's got a pretty gnarly scar on him like something definitely tried to eat him or like something fell on him or maybe a local tried to hack him or something like he's got a busted like scar on his back but he's ironically the nicest one of the of my three so um they all sort of have different looks which is cool but um yeah they're fun what do you find different about them look wise um so the female has like the most sort of symmetrical ladder like dorsal striping that is like nice and mirrored the uh the second male that came in is similar but his is a little more offset so it sort of does like a, an offset of little like blotches um and then the the other male the first one with the scar he's super orange like his, it goes black to like orange checkers and then back to black so he's just ridiculously pronounced and colorful um and then he also has so the they have those big head plates and that um his head plates and a lot of the the like parietals and ocular scales are like stonewashed scrub yellow so it almost looks like if you took something that was shiny black and scrubbed it with something really coarse and underneath was yellow and that's what like the top of his head looks like and it's really cool the other two have it just nowhere near as much as him um but his pattern is way more erratic whereas the females is much more linear and very angular and it's all just really subtle and there's like different tones to because uh, they basically have like a three pattern um, body style where the front third and the back third are the same where it's predominantly black on top with the, the white or creamy modeled checker ventral scales and sides and then the middle tends to go into 
like a tan or a gold checkered and then it's all got this laddering pattern on top and so it'll vary in color and you know uniformity i guess so yeah do you know i mean anyone who's bred them in captivity i think um what's his name i think his name's ken foos at uh that uh, exotic, exotic pets, pets Las Vegas, yeah, yeah. And they, i'm pretty sure he has um i don't know beyond that i know that from time to time they've come in gravid or babies that were hatched um with the importer were were shipped in um but other than that i haven't found too many documented breedings of them yeah that's kind of weird because i feel like yeah it is a rare rarely kept animal but it isn't really a rarely imported animal i mean well they're really common over there too like as far as because there are three different hognose species over there the giant ones the the ones we're talking about now from everything that i've read are pretty commonly encountered and there's lots of video of them like just winding through people's villages just not really bothered by the people just sitting there filming them on their phones like oh my god there's a snake um so i don't i don't think they're all that rare where they're from it's just they just never really caught on i'm sure decades ago maybe there was you know, more of a predominant amount of them in the hobby, but you know, there aren't really morphs. There's the three varieties. They probably have been, you know, historically rather difficult to get started on food because of their generalist diet and eggs and toads and lizards being what they eat a lot. So who knows? But so do you think that those feeding problems will come to fruition more so when they're babies? I mean, yeah. it doesn't seem like you had much of a problem getting the adults going. No, these guys were good. Um, the first guy, he eats off the tongs, and he always has. The other two, um, the male, he'll eat occasionally from me, but I usually just have to tease them with it, make sure they know it's there, and leave it. Uh, and then they'll eat it um, once I've left them alone. But, yeah, I never had to do any weird scenting or, or any live prey or anything. I just have to accept that they like their privacy. Um, I imagine if I do get babies, there will be a lot of tricks involved. But I've got um, the uh, the RectiLink sense in the freezer ready to go because those children's pythons. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've heard that's a whole experience. Yeah, I mean, who knows? We'll see. Maybe I won't have an issue. Maybe I will. I'm sure I will. But uh, that's, you know, that's always something that we can look forward to with captive, you know, populations is that potentially improving with generations. So or maybe it's never going to. And maybe that's part of the fun. Maybe that's part of the reward, you know, like, you know, for those who take on the challenge, getting into that knowingly and, you know, the reward at the end is is uh success and not not the sale maybe so <laughs> i don't know yeah, we can put that <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well i mean we could really go in on that probably pretty hard but uh sure I mean, just but... when you're not dealing with the run of the mill even though a children's python you know at one point was probably run of the mill or it's not necessarily hard to breed but the babies are kind yeah. of hard to get started and they do make a decent pet just for the size of them i mean yeah they're fantastic but the thing is you know people are only selling them for 100 to 150 bucks or something like that so there's no real fiscal incentive for a lot of people yeah i think they're under i think they're undervalued to be honest because um 
I, I think there's a couple lines to them and like certain breeders that selectively breed for certain looks. So it, maybe it's not a line, but when you say it comes from somebody, it, it holds value in that way. Um, I'm not as in tune to the Antaresia side of things as, as I would be like Morelia, but um, um, I I would think that, you know, if people paid more attention to them, they could be treated more like, you know, lines and carpet pythons because, yeah, you can you can see them uh, on displays at tables or at shows for like 100, 150 bucks pretty easily. So, yeah, yeah, I feel like maybe some people hatch them out and wholesale them immediately because, I mean, I'll see them on some obviously like a reseller's table or something like that yeah yeah or like a shop will just have a generic pair that just breeds regularly and it's just kind of like a, a given for them every year so i'm gonna go get that clip for my my headphones <laughs> here um yeah. but yeah yeah no they're cool i think uh i think the problem is people think they're just a brown snake which um they're most certainly not um they have a lot of really cool iridescence to them in a similar way to like a rainbow boa um and they do lose their their contrast as they like you know as they age a bit but um i think it's still pretty uh pretty cool to see them because my female is actually lightened up a bunch as she is um kind of cycling right now and so she's like a creamy off white behind all of those brown spots which is uh really rad the male's still you know darker and they have you know different styles of spots like if you look at them together they're very different so um when you start comparing animals it's pretty neat yeah I'm, I'm sorry no go yeah i just feel like if people looked a little bit deeper than i mean the obvious if a snake is yellow if you see an albino berm or you know albino yeah. ball python or something like obviously that animal is gonna catch your eye but i mean if you look closer and see how the animals behave whether it's you know, a small colubrid or something like a children's python, even though it's not big. I mean, there's nothing kind of impressive to the normal person about it. I mean, there's always something to like yeah. about all these things. Yeah. You know, what's really cool is like, um, if you look at them, uh, through like a macro lens on a camera and you just kind of notice just all the fine details in the eyes, what really got it for me was was seeing uh, the babies with such bright orange eyes. Like that was the coolest thing to me. And then um, obviously with any species, you talk to the breeder that's like really into it and they're going to stoke you out on them because they're behind that. And so they're going to kind of show you that perspective. They're like, no, look, like these ones have this different subtle pattern behind the neck and and these ones that I've been producing, they tend to be lighter here and retain it longer into adulthood. And then, you know, they start giving you all these things that you start noticing once they point them out. And then you realize it's not just a brown snake. It's it's a spotted snake with a rainbow sheen that varies a ton that has like bright orange eyes. And um, I don't know, it's like not too far off from like a Savu in, in head style and stuff like that. They're just smaller and different pattern. And, you know, they can or can't be finger biters. It just depends. <laughs> Mine happen to be absolute sweethearts, always have been. So I think, you know, that's not always the case, but um, you can say that with any animal, right? And I think people don't realize that they're not called children's pythons because they're for children. It's a guy's <laughs> last name. <laughs> yeah, it was an Australian uh, herpetologist's last name, so... <laughs> so this isn't a python for your child although in, i mean it could be it could be 
Yeah, just, you know, make sure you handle it first because the, the nipping factor could be serious. They have, you know, I mean, obviously it's small, so it's not dangerous or anything you're going to ever need to worry about. But, like, if you want a pet and you want something to handle, um, you know, make sure you're either willing to socialize one or potentially socialize one or just go pick it out in person. How do we, because we get that all the time, man. It's like... I don't want something that's going to bite me. I don't want, you know, is it tame, blah, blah, blah. But it's yeah. very hard. I mean, how do I say like, yeah, well, if you don't want something to bite you, like maybe snakes aren't the best. Or if you don't want something to bite you, don't get a puppy either because those like to, you know, play bite you and stuff like that. I don't yeah. know. It, it's tough. I mean, I think I think the first thing we can do is sort of like rule out whether they're looking for this animal for a pet or a breeder, what their level of experience is. So pretty quickly we can tell whether or not that's going to be a problem. Um, or if they say it, then you obviously know it's uh, a concern. I think um, as a breeder or a seller, ultimately I want that person to like the animal they get from me. And so say I've got this, say I've got a dozen animals and there's only one on the table that they want. And that one happens to be like the nastiest, rudest animal. And I've given them full disclosure and they're like, no, but I like, I want one like that. That's not nasty. It, it would be up to me to make sure that they walk away happy. Even if that means not getting that snake, because ultimately if they get a snake, that's just a jerk that doesn't ever come around. It might get neglected. It might not get fed as much. It might just kind of get shoved aside, you know, so to speak, or just sold off again. And, you know, that animal never was appreciated. And, you know, nobody wants a, a rude animal. Like, nobody's like, give me your meanest snake. Like, you don't ever really hear that. But, um, yeah, I mean, there are people that can tolerate it and there are people that, that can't. And so I think if we can uh, avoid it, I think the, the next best thing would be to sell them an animal if they're really wanting to buy something, sell them one that won't, you know, ruin their day, so to speak. But it's, you know, it's very case specific. Um, so I actually had a, a gal buy um, one of my granite carpet pythons this year. And it was the only female visual granite. And she happened to be the nastiest one in the clutch. Um, and she didn't want it for breeding. She wanted it to be a pet. And I told her straight up, I was like, we should go for this male. And so we were, I was, you know, we were working things out for the male. And then I changed my mind on the female. I was like, no, look, she is available if you want her. I'm not going to keep her. But she's really rude. And, and she's like, well, I'm not in no rush. Can we just, you know, see what happens? And I said, sure. And uh, I actually handled that animal. And she turned out to be, you know, fine. She just mellowed out. And I get updates weekly. And she's like a sweetheart. She'll like feed. She's got, she's gotten huge. Like she lets people pet her and hold her. No issues. So um all's well there but yeah uh i'm How sure long did you hold on to her before you sold her or shipped her uh i probably after we had agreed to do that i probably kept that animal for another two and a half months or so wow um yeah i mean i wasn't i wasn't in a rush um she had the money but she wasn't in a rush and um and then, yeah, it was like the last granite and I'd already promised it. So at that point it was like, well, she's getting this animal. So might as well, you know, take the time to make sure. And I didn't have any, you know, any other odd requests or any people requesting to socialize, you know, offspring. So I didn't really have many. Um, well, now that people know that you socialize animals before you sell them off, you may have a few <laughs> more requests. 
Yeah, uh, except for the rainbow. Keep bows. that Brazilian I get, rainbow bow. <laughs> I give I give full disclosure to people buying rainbows if the one they wanted is like a jerk or not, and I'm like, yeah, they're all jerks. They might grow out of it. Sometimes they don't. <laughs> that is a but, weird thing about snakes is that there's a certain individual that can be worked with and eventually you know gets tamed down to a certain degree and then there's just ones that don't seem to ever for sure yeah i've got uh i kept five baby rainbow boas this year and um some of them are just rude as all get out and some of them you know just don't have a mean bone in their body you could just kind of like poke them in the face right after feeding and they still wouldn't you know do anything but then the other ones like you just have to make sure they're awake when you pick them up because they think you're food and that's just you know oftentimes it's a baby like a neonatal sort of behavioral thing um rainbow bows are known for it um as babies they you know they tend to hit harder than my carpet python babies do so but they do all seem to hit this point after like one month where they've had like three or four meals where they're starting to pick up the smell is different and things are a little bit different each time. And by then usually the ones that are going to mellow out right away already have. So, yeah. and then you just work the rest of them. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's, I mean, rainbow boas are notorious that way, but in a way, yeah. I mean, they, I've seen so many chill adults and I mean, something mm. that I don't see very many chill of is your Amazons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's that's an animal um that uh if I ever have babies available for sale and people are buying them and they're like, is it tame and is it does it bite? I'm gonna say no and yes. And no, I will not socialize that one for you. <laughs> and and to be perfectly honest, uh I'm kinda glad they're like that because that keeps a certain demographic out of them. Um I don't you know mean to like make them seem like elite or extra, but like I don't want them I don't want them, you know, all over the place. I don't want them in everyone's, you know, YouTube videos and all over shows like certain animals are. Like they're great and I think people want to keep them, they should. Um, but I don't think they're like a snake to be handled and you know, played with all the time. They're they're like a snake that deserves respect and to be left alone and you know, you admire them and yes you can handle them, but yes, you are going to get bit. <laughs> and that's just how it goes. There's so. like a weird I mean, because honestly, they're very easy to keep in yeah. those respects. Yeah, they're great. They're but great. it's also Especially... like an animal that looks really good, yeah. but is also super variable as well as mm-hmm. super I mean getting one at a show is pretty much always sketchy for a newcomer. So not only are you getting this animal that's not that you can't handle, but you're also getting this animal that may have other issues to it. Yeah. I mean, there's always variables where like you can get lucky and it could be from a great vendor who right then and there will also supply you with like information or, you know, maybe they produced it and maybe they've got a bunch of them. So like you could get lucky. Um, I've, I've had some great, uh, show pickups, like, you know, just kind of got lucky here or there, but, um, but that's not always the case. And, uh, I think, you know, with specialty species like that, I think if somebody is looking to get into it, it's best not to do it on impulse. It's best to do it a little bit calculated and maybe with somebody guiding you through it. Um, just to like give you, you know, either reassurance or have somebody that, you know, you can reach out to once you get going, because like you said, they're not hard, but, um, they are different. So, 
yeah, that person's not going to want to go in there and clean the cage and do everything they got to do when, I mean, it's always gunning for them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I, I took a, a few of my, my yearlings out the other day, and I was, like, filming one of the females. I was like, look, no biting, you know, and she's doing great. And it wasn't me, like, being being dumb or trying to entice her to get bit. And, like, after I put the phone away and was done filming, I was putting her away, and she bit me. And it was just like, oh. <laughs> Ah, made a liar out of me, will you? Uh, but then, you know, the other ones are fine uh, most of the time. But I wouldn't also say that they don't bite or they're trustworthy. I would say that time they didn't bite. This also, time they didn't bite. Keep in mind that you know how to handle the animal. So, like, people, when they first pick up a snake or first get a snake, they're like, they don't know to keep their hand away from waving it right in sure. its face. Or, you know, they'll accidentally put their hand in their face or... Yeah, like an Amazon's the most forgiving with that kind of behavior. I have a ball python that will uh, will make you regret being sloppy like that, and he's got one good eye. So <laughs> every every animal's different, you know. Like that's just how it is. Um, yeah, it's fun. <laughs> yeah. Remind me, um, how many total you have? Total Amazon. Total snakes. <laughs> Ooh. Uh, okay, never, never mind. Don't remind me. I think it's in. Uh, you're under a hundred, right? Uh, yeah, I'm, I think I'm under sixty right now. Just have random litters of forty Brazilian rainbow boas at a time. Thirty-four. <laughs> <laughs> Two, no big deal. Three, four, five, six, twelve, twenty. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, thirty. I think Brandon's saying four, it's rude of you to ask him to count his snakes. I didn't ask him to count it right now. Just... I, I'm over forty. We'll just go with forty. Yeah, that's, that sounds good, right? You seem to have really picked up your between the hogs and the Amazons, though, in the last year or so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, are you? Is there any transition out of Australia, or are no. you still into that? You're just keeping that end. No. So the well. the both of those sort of came from like uh, interest that uh, started at the zoo while I was working at the zoo because it was my my first time working with some of those species like outside of like ever really seeing them because like. I had known about reptiles, but then when I started volunteering at the zoo was when I discovered like the world we're in. And so like I learned about the zoo world and then like the private world at the same time, my head exploded on both ends and I went nuts and um, absorbed as much as I could and, you know, kept as much as I could. And, and that evolved as it did. But um, a couple of the species that always stood out to me were the ones that people either like had missed miss like misguided ideas about or or just didn't deal with at all because they thought they're mean and and those were the amazon tree bows we had on display which i would handle regularly with I, I think i only got bit once and that's because i was taking a photo of one and i didn't see the other one coming up out of here and it tagged my finger while i was taking a photo of the other one um but otherwise they were great like i showed um the vet staff how to probe and like how, you know, we could handle them and do all this stuff that they weren't mean and I'd restrain them for, um, 
you know, their procedures. And then when I let them go, they wouldn't retaliate. So everyone was like, wow, they're, they're all right. And so that was pretty cool. And then we had a, a Madagascar hog nose, um, that was all black, like a zero pattern, um, except a little bit of white on the belly. And she was this absolute sweetheart and one of our best education animals. And, um, it was great because she would like hiss and huff and puff and it would like kind of startle any volunteers or people that weren't familiar with her. And so it was kind of like a, a little fun thing to, uh, to get people over that or be like some of the privileged few that were comfortable working with her. And they were just kind of different. So once I stopped working at the zoo, um, you know, I finally realized like, okay, yeah, I, I can, I can get those. Um, I'd always like talked about it. Like I'm going to get these one day. Cause at that point I was like keeping everything and like finding out about like what was in the hobby and what was it. And, uh, I found that Madagascar hognose were in the hobby, but at the time nobody was importing them. So there weren't any in there, uh, any around. So I wanted them naturally even more. And then once I got into Morelia and carpets and started really enjoying that like big headed look and that, you know, potentially not so handleable attitude and really enjoying the challenge involved with that and finding it kind of amenable and fun. Amazons are like the boa equivalent. So, um, yeah, there was just like too many reasons for me not to try them out. And I've just been super glad that I, I took the, took the plunge. Mm -hmm. Now, how many pairs do you have as far as adults? Amazon. Um, the Amazons, I have one pair of adults and a trio of yearlings. Uh, so I've got 2.3 and they're all yellow. Um, the adults, the female is heavily patterned. She almost looks like a jag. She's really cool looking. Um, and then she's got like green and gray in there, which is really bizarre. Um, and she's ruder than any animal I've got. She is like the meanest snake in the house and she's awesome. And then the the male I have is an import and he's kind of weird because he's got like these white patches behind his eyes and like no pattern, but some on his back. And um, he's a little bit scarred up, but he's um, he's pretty mellow. So he's cool. And then the babies are all either entirely patternless or like 99% patternless. Uh, the male is yellow. One female is really like canary yellow, and then the other female is like this mangoey orange. So, um, they're so cool, man. And it's like there's so many colors you can get, and there's patternless, and there's tiger, and there's like brindles, and there's just like all this stuff. And and I'm like, oh, I could do like an entire building of carpets and an entire building of Amazon tree boas, and still not be happy. Like, there's just so much. That is a thing. Does this ever end? Is there ever a snake no. that we don't want? No. I think about that a lot. I'm like, what? You know, have have there have there been enough generations of of like mass reptile keeping where like we've had turnover? Where it's like, oh, time to set it up in the will, and like you know, it's like a generational thing. Like generations of people's reptiles get passed on. Like imagine a hundred years from now, like they're gonna look back at history and be like, so yeah, there's this huge epidemic of like homeless reptiles everywhere that took over the united states because everybody died wow <laughs> and we, okay they didn't know what to do and then the next generation was too busy with their iphones and in the digital world and 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 uh reality that they didn't notice and it got out of control so do you think about that in your time at work <laughs> 
Yeah, sometimes. Because you're just having I'm so much fun at work. <laughs> Always. I'm Evan drawing said, more. Evan said in the chat earlier that he's loving the work Instagram stories you've been posting lately. Ah, yeah. Yeah, we got a lot of cool rolly chairs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It just gives you time to think about all the snakes that, that you want. To, like when I... Because I used to do security, and for the shifts where, like, I wasn't actually watching people, and I was just acting like I was doing something, I was just on fauna all day, and I would just get... Brutal. I would just get so anxious and so, like, (laughs) wanting of every snake, and I would go through even, you know, I'd go to other colubrids, and then I'd get into, like, boy... I go in areas where I would never normally go. And it would yeah, just make you, me... You, you tortured yourself. Yeah, it would make me want more things, make me realize I wasn't making enough money and I would never afford all these things, and yeah. just add to the list and never want to work. But, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's the slow season right now. During the rest of the year, I can get you know up to 60 hours in a week. It's just right now, it's dead. So the you know all the seasonal folks have been laid off, and then the folks that are full time permanent, it's like calibrating sieves and you know cleaning up, and like one guy was fixing some cracks in the in the floor, and you know making sure the ovens are working, and like all this really busy work, and more or less being present in case work shows up, which it usually doesn't right now. Um, so like yeah as long as i put in 30 hours a week and get my my benefits they they don't care and i like went downstairs and my manager was already gone i was like oh all right three hours for both of us cool (laughs) (laughs) um but it is what it is like everybody that like some guy hasn't even showed up for like two weeks and it's like not a big deal so um that's just how the the industry is it's like construction and weird drilling stuff so it even gets cold enough in Sacramento to stop all that stuff. Yeah, the rain the rain is like it it stops uh, the sampling and the drilling in a lot of the the job sites that are like pouring concrete or or pulling dirt samples at you know jobs whatever they're doing it it's just too wet they won't even like run the equipment in the rain so. Yeah. So what do you just, I mean, this gives you plenty of time to map out what you're going to pair and what you, I mean, all of your snake shit. (laughs) Oh yeah. I've like written that out like five different times and like changed it every time. And, um, yeah, going through tons of photos and like deleting photos off my phone and finding which ones like I should use. And then, oh, that's the other thing I've been like, um, compiling all of my photos and putting together um, like little uh, PowerPoint slideshows for like the animals that I have photos of in preparation for, you know, potential babies and stuff. So I can have like a a tracking system of sorts to keep track of that. Um, But yeah, otherwise I've actually been going to the gym a lot because I have that much free time. That's good. I think, uh, Ryan Cox in our uh, chat takes the cake. He said his high school had to ban kingsnake.com because of him. Woo! Nice. <laughs> He's just on it so much in high school. Hey, it's better than some other sites the school could ban, I'm sure. <laughs> That's yeah. good. That's not shameful at all. Like, later on, that'll be something that, like, he can be proud of if he isn't already. No, I think he's proud of it right now. Yeah. I mean, I would be. I would be for sure. 
but like yeah, you don't I, think uh, that happens very often yeah no that's that's a good badge of honor right there i think there uh, there's a lot of us crazy individuals who just and i don't know what it is it's like a weird mixture of personalities because there's plenty of people who really love snakes and looking at snakes and learning about snakes but not all of them have the desire to keep them or to keep them oh, at yeah. the level that we keep them at generally sure yeah as far as numbers why, <laughs> yeah and that's why there's such a huge market still for you know, like hammocks and, and the things that people who like run animals and rack system might find silly or like the leashes and stuff. That's awesome that there's that huge market because it's the other side of the coin, you know. There's the breeder side and then there's just the keeper side. And oftentimes that side gets lost in the mix, like, you know, under all these massive um, uh, personalities or companies that put out products that are, you know, in the forefront of everything that are more tailored to the breeder. So companies like zilla and zoomed are awesome because they do like they still care about the foam background and you know keeping the lights slim and low profile but lights nonetheless and you know all those things that we might disregard and that's the majority of the industry if you think about it so um what do you think the percentage is like pet people to breeder people or like real it's, hobbyists. It's, it's probably 90 to 10. Honestly. Really? Pro- I bet you it's 90%. 90% of the people are, um, you know, four, four person family household with a, a pet bearded dragon, leopard gecko and, and a course. And like, maybe they've got a local herp society. So there's a few people who rescue an odd and end tortoise or, you know, something here and there because we've got that here in Sacramento and every time, every month we go to the Herp Society meeting, there's always new faces and like that's the majority of the demographic there. There's a few people that, you know, they might breed, you know, something here and there, but it's really, it's really slim as far as breeders go. And I think that's the majority of it. And I think that's why there's such huge companies um, making a lot of money off it because I think there's a big audience for it. That's crazy. So... Yeah, so there's four, I had to write this down for like a meeting I had one time. So 4.7 million people in the U.S. as of 2010 owned reptiles. And and 8,000 to 10,000 of those were part-time breeders. So someone do that math. 10,000 to 4.7 million. <laughs> it's a very, very um, small percentage. Yeah, it's less than, it's a, that's like less than a hundredth of a percent. Yeah, that's tiny. Like, and we're not even, we didn't even make it around the track. <laughs> we they ran the race. Like, yeah, we think that it's just us. We think it's just us and other breeders. And that's really yeah. not the industry at all. Yeah, for sure. Like, how many times are there kids that are like, we've got a snake in the glass, or my friend has a leopard gecko at home, or we've got crested geckos. You never find anybody who's like, oh, yeah, my brother breeds or my dad breeds or my uncle breeds snakes or we've got a, you know, like very rarely do you encounter that. Yeah. And I think it's also rare that you have someone stick for a certain period of time. I mean, there's plenty of people with four ball pythons probably in Iraq that are planning to breed. And then once they, they may get a couple clutches or, you know, they, the the breeding sector of it seems to recycle pretty often. Sure. Oh man, I mean, I haven't even I haven't even been involved in like paying attention to the digital world more than like seven years, I would say. And in that time, I've seen like 
what I consider generations of, of people come and go. And, and I have this weird little theory that I've formulated on my own. <laughs> where, I love this. <laughs> I can't wait to hear this. Where, where I, I think, I think there's a three year window, like a three year shelf life where if you don't, if you don't hit what makes you happy in that three years, or you don't find yourself doing what you really love, or you're not successful in that three year window, you're done. By your own choice, not because the industry is going to push you out, because you're going to give up, you're going to get over it, you're going to get frustrated, you're going to get um, in over your head, whatever the avenue may be. I think in three years, you you either find that you're satisfied and you keep going, or you're over it and you're done, or you go broke or something like that. And and that's uh, it's just that's what you see for the most part. I would say the majority of people, that's how it goes. I totally agree. I think people's expectations are much higher than their level of patience. And you need to be patient and have moderate expectations because, you know, you're breeding animals. You're not exactly going to get wealthy unless you paid a lot of money for your animals. Sure. You know, you know, it's interesting. Um, and I've been thinking about this recently uh, because one theory that I've, I've heard whenever I was frustrated and I was looking to people for help or advice um, or seeing other people talking about it is there, it's not impossible for people to like fully get out of reptiles and come back to it at a better time later, like when they've got a career figured out or whatever. Like, you know, it could be better later or it could just not be for you or maybe you just didn't find the right avenue. Um, everybody has their, their pathway to it. And um, I think as long as you're honest with yourself about whether you like doing it or you don't, um, that's what counts. But if you don't like doing it, you know, doesn't mean you can't figure out a different avenue or come back to it later or try something else, you know? So, yeah. but I think that's just a natural cycle with anything. It's probably the same with sports. It's the same with professional careers. It's just, you know, this one's just a hobby and it's just more like voluntary, like really voluntary. So, yeah, you know, people pick up hobbies and drop hobbies constantly yeah yeah absolutely so and i think it's we were having this whole discussion on like a corn snake group and someone basically asked like well i'm trying to get an idea for how i'm gonna sell my animals can someone give me the price one blah 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 and mm. it got you really played that down oh you're about to play okay never yeah, mind. yeah i'm about to explain a little bit more so i mean basically it came down to you know especially in corn snakes certain people have a name who can charge a certain mm. amount for a corn snake? Don Soderbergh. Okay. Let's just be say the actual just put fucking it all name. out there. And then you know he can sell a snake. It's a it's a compliment to him. He can sell a snake for two hundred dollars, but Joe Schmo just bred something in his bedroom and had one clutch is going to sell the same snake for eighty dollars. Like it's so crazy the difference mm. between someone with a name and someone without one. And we kind yeah. of like came to the conclusion that. If you don't have a name that's been established year after year after year, then in mm-hmm. today's world, like you have to market your snakes. You have to sell your snakes. You have to be on social media most of the times to a certain degree or do a shit ton of shows. So as someone like yourself, I mean, you do a fair bit of social media and like you're consistently yeah. doing more of it. Like mm-hmm. I was just wondering kind of your opinion on that. Yeah, I think there is like a right amount uh that needs to be done i think there's too little and then i think there's too much and then somewhere in that zone there's like the right amount and that depends on your audience and your industry like your little sub niche market 
and you know we'll say like morphs and corn snakes versus localities and something else like everything probably has its different audience right so that'll dictate that i think um oh yeah i think um if you put effort into um getting quality and then portraying quality and then you put in the legwork in um you know paying your dues um being present at shows um you know being involved in herb societies or somehow being an active member in that niche group for a while because you know it is tough to to come on the scene unless you have something really big and and exciting um, to get noticed. And that is tough. So I think, you, you know, unless you have something that you get really lucky on that blows you out of the water, you know, illuminates you to everybody in a, a really cool way that, you know, then leads to success, you have to put in legwork. And I think it's about um, networking. I think it's about, um, you know, aiming for success, portraying success, but not like lying about it, you know, not like not fake it till you make it. But like, um, you know, like if, if you really want the thousand dollar snake, don't go buy five, two hundred dollar snakes because you can't, you know, you, you feel bad buying just one or something like that. I, I don't know. There, I think if you put the time and the legwork in and you're patient and you just try and like be a part of whatever, you know, your, your sub community is, um, it'll all work out. I, I don't think um, there's any secret to success you know if you've got good animals and you communicate with people and you you know answer comments and and message people back and and you know just say hey you know like so and so like i'm in the middle of something i'll get back to you later don't just ignore them like all those little things it's the little details that people might not see outwardly that i think ultimately will build over time and you'll just you'll just kind of get into this cycle of like you know, meeting people and spreading a good vibe and it becomes contagious. And I think, I think the people that are successful have gotten there because they've, they've had a, a positive impact on a lot of people around them. Right. It's been like this, like sort of seepage effect. Right. And if you think of everything as growing exponentially, if, if you start with two people that talk to two people that talk to two people and so on and so forth, I think, you know, if you can maintain that for years, you're doing something right. So I don't know. Depends on how big you want to be, though, you know? Yeah, it's just don't expect that you create something and then everyone loves it. I mean, you got to kind of put it out there. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you know, um, what's really interesting is I – and maybe he's kind of, like, intense for people, but Gary Vaynerchuk, I'm sure you've seen a lot of his stuff. Gary B, he's big on social media. He's got a lot of really strong messages and one of the things that i see is he'll put little video clips up of like seminars and conferences and he gets a lot of young youtubers um that will ask him questions and this is probably relevant for our audience here um and they they always ask about how do i get more subscribers more followers this and that and he always tells them like stop worrying about the numbers just focus on what you do what you like put out good content be consistent be authentic and the rest will follow. The, the success will come if it's go if it's meant to be. It's gonna be there. Just be yourself, you know. And like, how you measure success is gonna vary. Like, you might measure your success in your YouTube effort by hitting five thousand subscribers or or whatever your next milestone is. Um, and and my measure of success might be five hundred. Um, and that doesn't mean you did way better than me 
or I suck, or I put 10% of the work in, or maybe it does, but ultimately it doesn't matter because my goal was X and I hit it. And so that's cool. So I think if everybody's just doing themselves, you know, just being honest with themselves and stay in their lane, it'll, it, you know, everybody can play along and, and swim the same stream. So, yeah, it's so, it's so hard and it happens to us all the time. It's like, <laughs> everyone's doing their own thing, living their own lives on their own timelines of, you know, when they started, what they're doing now. I mean, some people amassed a collection in five years. Some people amassed it over 20 years, 30 years. And there's just so many different levels to what people see as success in this game. And then also what people see, whether it's financial or breeding success or, you know, success is, so different and like you said the niches are just like they couldn't be more different sometimes from each other yeah yeah definitely you know and and the other thing is like it's it's a different world today than it was because like i can connect with somebody on the other side of the world whereas like 40 50 years ago you know the if you found somebody in your town that liked reptiles that was it like you guys were friends um so it's hard to like really try and encourage them like a mentorship style thing when we're so globalized like i can mentor somebody digitally so um i think it's so easy to just kind of get the information without doing that but like i think if you've got somebody who can take you under wing a little bit like a mentor somebody like that's consistently a resource i think that's super valuable um even if you know you become pretty well you know versed in what you're doing it's always good to have somebody like a generation before you to like always fall back on and keep you humble because they've got little tidbits of information that like they'll say it you might not remember it right then but you'll remember it like a year later like damn he was right i should have remembered that i should have listened three years ago when he hit me over the head with that one and so um like, I can't tell you how many times, like, I've had these, like, little epiphanies, like, man, Todd was right, talking about um, Todd at Psychotic. Like, he's really taught me a lot. So, um, yeah. Yeah, there'll be times where you're like, okay, I got a grip on this thing. And then something happens, and you're like, you're reminded of your inexperience of, <laughs> like, everything. Yeah, yeah, very quickly, very quickly. And, and I, I love the Morelia community for that because they're not shy about it. Um you know, I equate it to like personalities, like, uh oh, you're bad. Oh, we're good. Oh yeah. Um, uh, I equate it to like having two different personalities. Like the Morelia side of things is like the East Coast New Yorker with a really brash attitude and like is, just doesn't care if he says something a little bit insensitive because he's got a dang point. But and then like there's other ones that are more like. PC California, like, hey man, don't say that. And, is that you? And is that your impression of yourself? Sure, yeah, we'll go with that. I'll make fun of myself there. Yeah, I'm no, from California, I'm just fifth generation, man. Just in case me. people thought you were shitting on Californians, I need to let everyone know that you're from California. That's me, guilty. Um, but yeah, like, there's a lot of old schoolers in Morelia that have been like straight up to me, like as as clear as day, like did you just read my message you jackass like what did you just ask me that question again like really what the hell and i'm like oh yeah my bad because like i'm just not paying attention i'm like too excited i'm doing this i'm like ah you know snakes like more and and sometimes you just got to slow down you know the biggest thing is is like i look at what uh what i had in my collection five years ago and 
I think maybe like four of those snakes are still with me today. So it's very different. You learn, you know, you go through waves of that. So, yeah. So, sorry. No, it's just, I think that's part of the sticking with it thing that we talked about before is that you hit hurdles and it's like, who's going to still do this after shit goes south to a certain degree? What yeah. Well, we all hit rough patches for sure. So like yeah. my, my one little asterisk is like, we all have parts that suck and everybody hits that point where they like, man, do I want to do this anymore? I kind of want to give up. We all I think that happens that, like, like six times a year. And it's yeah. not even like once ever. It's yeah. like constantly. We, it happens to everyone. So if somebody's out there thinking like, God, this sucks. I'm about to give up. Like you're not alone. <laughs> and all, all you need to like do is find like one person who makes something click and then you realize like why you're doing it. And especially the more, you know, the more people you talk to, the more opportunities you're going to get to get excited about some new part of the hobby or aspect of keeping. Absolutely. What were you saying? Uh, what were you going to say, Melissa? Y'all just talking this whole well, time. I've asked like two questions. Well, I was allowing you to go, but then we started but, talking again because because that's what y'all do. Yeah. Um. Shit. Oh shit! See, this is why you know we don't stop the whole podcast. No, this is why you should just let me get a question in <laughs> so often. Um. Well, just on the topic of like keeping with it and like remembering things people have told you. What do you feel like has been like the most important thing you've learned in this past year as related to snakes? Uh, I think the, I think the motto or like the saying that sticks out that sort of sums up the way I think about this year is, uh, being a student of the serpent. Um, excuse me. Part of that comes from, moving my entire collection 400 miles north into a different climate and having to um, make sure they're adapting to that and just paying attention to everything. And then now having seven females going at the same time, as opposed to trying to get like one or two to breed. Um, I have a lot more to pay attention to. So a lot more falls through the cracks, you know, um, there's a lot more animals to move around and a lot more cleaning and note taking because I like, you know, writing some notes. Um, so you know paying attention to your animals being a student of the serpent i think like if there's one thing to take away from this year it's that and i feel like i've i've managed to do pretty well by like my aims at that because i set out to like pay more attention this year and learn more and be more diligent with my notes and um just kind of paying attention and um you know, getting out at work at two means I get to come home and pay attention to my snakes a lot more. So it's not so bad. Yeah. I think, I mean, snakes can clearly lull you into a sense of acting like you don't have to do that much. And then you realize, yeah, yeah, you got to pay attention to your snakes. You got to keep up on your things. I mean, you got to keep up with what your animals are doing and basically what they're asking you for. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think that's why I like having some variety, like the geckos and the monitor and a pixie frog and spiders and stuff. So because it's just like I can't get in a rut. I can't get in like a waters and just make sure everyone's clean. It's like, oh, got to feed the frog. Oh, got to check on the spiders. Oh, you know, so uh, there's always more to do. I did not realize you had spiders. <laughs> I only have two. And they're little. I got I had uh, um 
I had a P Metallica. You guys have probably heard Evan ramble on about mm-hmm. the big, pretty blue ones. He's had them. Um, I had a male that I loaned to a friend for breeding, and he got eaten. Um, so I don't have him anymore. Um, and then, yeah, I got a couple slings, two little guys when he moved up here, sort of by chance. It just, that's how it works, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to dive more into things with legs? No, I just like having a few around. Like if I owned a house, you know, um, and had a backyard, I think I'd like to fortify it and rescue some tortoises, like um, uh, adopt some desert tortoises because there's a lot of like um, old surrendered ones uh, out here that are just like super inundated and they're a protected species. So like, but they have a program for adopting them. Um, So I think I'd like to do that, but I don't know. Monitors are fun, but I like not having to clean up after them in my place. It's fun taking care of somebody else's or like playing with them from time to time. Um, so I'm okay with like having, you know, one lizard and a couple geckos for now and, you know, one little tortoise. Like it's not, it's not a whole lot. I think if I had, you know, multiple of all of those, it'd be a bit much, but, um, it's a lot more, you know, they eat more, their dietary requirements are different. UVB lighting is, you know, another thing to pay attention to. Um, they tend to need a lot more water cleaning and enrichment and substrate changing and a lot, just a lot more little details that, um, you know, if you don't get to on a snake or you slack on, or it's just way more lower maintenance. So, um, yeah, like if I was doing it full time or like I work from home, then maybe, you know, I could see doing one or two more, but snakes are more my speed. So yeah. how awkward is it when your spider gets eaten? Then it's not your fault. Yeah, I knew I knew that that was possible going into it. Um, that is part of the thing with breeding tarantulas is the male can be consumed by the female and things can look like they're going well. And then all of a sudden she can just grab them. Um, if they're co-having and they seem to be doing well, you know, it could just be a random thing, which is why people don't co-have them. But, um, you know, some species are communal, especially when they're younger. It's just it's just kind of how it goes. The downside is that is like a really expensive species. But um, again, that's how it goes, you know. What's an expensive species of tarantula? Well, that's like typically those guys are like 150 bucks i've you know if you get an adult or a mature female of something i've seen you know the mexican red knees which are like kind of a in an industry classic or a staple like adult females go for several hundred dollars like 400 bucks so um it's it's kind of the same as with reptiles you know the breeding potential and you know having large egg sacs with lots of slings you know lots of Lots of return on investment from that standpoint, I guess. I mean, they have they have a lot of babies, right? Some of them can have dozens or over a hundred for sure. Yeah, uh, that's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> if you if you're ever curious, go like YouTube like um, uh, tarantula egg sac cutting because like when they're ready, people will take like um like an exacto knife and just give it a little slit and pull it open and when they're little tiny things they look like little airsoft bbs with legs and they're actually called uh ewls like eels like egg with legs um that's what the acronym stands for (laughs) because they they molt after like a day or so so like right after they come out they look like fat little things and like 
on like a little t-rex arms like they can't walk because their butt's too big sort of thing um but they just like kind of all slowly scatter out and there's like dozens of them and then they molt and then they're actual spiders and then they're really mobile so <laughs> wow. it's kind of overwhelming to think about <laughs> yeah i mean how do you even separate all those babies and do what you gotta do well, fortunately, they don't like just immediately go Poof! like they start doing that. But, uh, you know, theoretically, if you've got a good egg sack and you're doing this, you prep like all the little deli cups that you see slings sold in. So you just get those ready. And what you do is do it in a tub, just a big tub. And then you just kind of slowly, gently guide them all in. If you got a system, you can, you can probably do it. They're not going to just take off and run a mile from you. So if you've got them in like a little cup or something like that, then put that in like a bigger tote and, you know. Just go down the line. Sweet. So what are the, I mean, what do those things eat coming out? Air. Like Air. fruit flies, <laughs> pinhead crickets, um, you know, little isopods, uh, springtails. Um, you know, you could, you could hit up Evan for some fruit flies. There you go. Um, Evan announced on the podcast chat, he's officially done with fruit flies and going to get into contrast. He's retired. Like he's, you know, not he's retired. into country. <laughs> We should get him a trophy. <laughs> a flightless trophy. So it's... We'll make him a shirt. We'll just like put it on the back like fruit fly guy. Fruit fly guy. I've been in the fruit fly any, Anytime we make him a shirt, everybody here on out in the world, if you are making a shirt that is going to Evan Browder, custom with your logo, I don't care what you breed on Has the back, it, on the it back. must say fruit fly guy. You heard it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, we need, I'm gonna we go. Need more of that. I'm gonna go make mine. I'm gonna go make mine. Oh shit! Riley's reptile shirts. Fruit flag guy. Do you personally like make all yours and just keep a whole bunch at your house? And then, like, how do you? I didn't it? personally make them, but I, I I I ordered a grip and I have them here. Yeah. Do you um, like I just went through a company. Yeah, I mean. um I, it was a little more personal that way, and I feel like having stock on hand will be good because, like, when I go sh- go to shows, hopefully if I have a good year and, and have some babies, I can start vending shows this year um, instead of just doing online and kind of be a little more present and then, you know, have some shirts there. And it's nice to have them in hand for people locally because um, actually a lot of what I sold was locally. I have, you know, probably shipped out 30 or 40, um, but I probably sold, like, you know, 20 or 30 here in town or dropped them off with friends actually shipped one over to england the other day too so oh shit what was that shipping cost like well you broker it with someone like a a broker or anything no i was just 25 bucks i just did it postal service it didn't need to get there by any certain time they have they have stuff oh it's a shirt oh shit i thought we were talking about a snake for a second no i'm an idiot but Uh, hold on oh that's why sorry i I got off of topic. I was like, oh, yeah, he's talking about his shirts. But I still thought Hold it on might a... cost more than $25. I'm surprised that's it. Yeah, actually, it wasn't that bad. It was not bad at all. I expected it to be uh, to be much worse. Um, Didn't we ship to, like, so... South Africa and it was ridiculous? Well, it just took, like, a month to get there. That's but... what it was, yeah. Yeah, the timing is is usually where, where it comes into play. It, it's never, like... It's never gonna be whoa. Are we there? It's never gonna be super expensive. Um, sorry, like my I had I had my phone charger plugged into uh, an outlet that was on a timer. I think. Wow. 
Anyway, I don't know. My phone is like three years old, and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it wants this. There you go. I'm just not going to touch it. We're just going to leave it. Yeah. Um, what were we talking about? Shirts. Going to England. Going to England. Shirt. Timing. Yeah. Uh, the more you pay, the faster we'll get there. Yeah. So, yeah. I think if the, the standard rate is what I paid, and it'll probably get there in like a week and a half or so. Oh, it's not bad at all. No, no, no. For something light like that, that doesn't have to go through any crazy customs or, you know, no special crate or cargo or anything like that. It's usually pretty quick. It's usually within two weeks. Yeah. Snap so. Um, Brand- uh, I can't talk. Darren asks, whose logos are some of y'all like really into? So I know it's kind of a random question, but hmm. whose logos out there are you very impressed by? Hmm. Uh, I like the Philly Herp logo. The Philly Herp is one true. is cool. Yeah, yeah, that one's rad. I just like anything with good clean lines. It pops like that. Um, uh, both Eric and Owen, I like that style of logo because it's it's real simple, just like the two tone, just two colors, and real sharp and um, clean. And I like that kind of a style to things. Um, uh, Austin Warwick's logo is badass. That that drawing that his buddy did, uh, you know, the bearded, mm-hmm. like, oh, that's really cool. I like pen and ink stuff like that. So that's probably well, one that of my drawing ones was there. like very much like the style you drew at work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I really like that style. So that one's probably uh, probably my favorite one. Yeah, I don't see. I don't know exactly who. And I mean, I think I used to be more into it because there are some like ball python guys who do good as far as marketing in every aspect. Oh, like, you know who? Mark Mandick is very good. Yeah. Justin Kobilka, hats off to that dude. His logo is like recognizable. It's memorable. The way he markets himself is brilliant. It's clever. And like what he does with the color scheming on everything is genius. And people don't even realize what I mean when I say that. It's genius. You're all being manipulated by it. It's working. (laughs) (laughs) And I applaud him for it because it's clever and it works and it's great. And it's awesome. Like that's, he's a great example of that. You'd be hard pressed to find a ball python breeder who isn't hanging off his nuts all the time. So wow, he's doing something. Hey, hey, it's a great, it's a great example to follow. No, it is. He's a great person for sure. Yeah. Awesome dude. So yeah, that's like. Between him and like Mark Mandic in in Canada, I mean, the ball python guys definitely have more of the business side down than a lot of our other kind of niches in the hobby. They also yeah, probably yeah. have more money than all of us. So. Well, exactly. <laughs> you know, and that 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 industry, or we'll call it, we'll call that like a sub industry of the overall industry. That one's been around longer than you know, say like the Boyga industry or um, the Western hog nose industry or something, you know, like that. Corsairs have been there, but no one's ever, I don't know. We just haven't gotten commercial at all. If you are commercial, then you're $15 wholesale, you know, a hundred thousand of them commercial. So, yeah, I guess it comes down to like, you know, the animals that are really well suited as like the widely available pet snakes are the ones that are, you know, going to end up, probably consistently staying commercial and then animals that are hard to 
mass produce and and are not great with kids and the families like that 90 something percent we were talking about earlier that's always just going to be you know left to the rest of us so and that's just that's okay it's all good yeah um change of subject because that's how my brain works uh you said next year you want to start getting into like some more shows and stuff so what are the Mm -hmm. first shows you want to do or are going to do yeah well for me it'll have to be cost effective um you know it'd have to make sense as far as like being able to get there so california is is probably where i'll start um I will probably do Pomona because that's Pomona has always been my home show. Like as soon as I found the Pomona show, like six years ago, I haven't missed one. Um, And so I think I'll definitely do that whether I start there or not, you know, it'll all just come down to timing. Um, The Sacramento show here is moving to Cal Expo next year. So I might try that one. That's local to me. So I wouldn't have to pay for a hotel. So it might be worth it even with the expensive table cost because it's really pricey. It's, I heard it's like 250 bucks for a table, which Whoa. is... Yeah. For but a local it's a big show. show. It's Dude, it's huge. Really? It's a huge show. Yeah, it's really big. Like the Arizona Herp Society comes out and brings like a bunch of hots and crocs on display just for education and like... Uh, I think Mutton comes down. Dan Maleri is going to keep that one on his schedule when, you know, he comes back twice a year. Um, so I'll probably aim for those if I can financially pull it off. And then there's a few smaller ones locally that are starting to pop up. Um, the the Bay Area and NorCal one's been around for five years, six years now, and that one's got some good steam. So that one might be worth it. Some of the smaller ones like um, San Mateo and San Jose, I probably wouldn't wouldn't uh vend at just because i don't think there's much of a uh, an audience for a lot of what i work with but um i think the bigger shows in california like those ones are probably worth it san diego might be a stretch just because it's longer but who knows you know like there's always the hotel discounts and people you can stay with so yeah Let's see those are two pretty yeah. big shows you're doing like like oh i'm just gonna do some shows just you know pomona and sacramento like really well yeah i mean and when i say when i say doing a show that doesn't mean you know i would um probably not anticipate to make uh a profit for my first three shows three four shows at least um because that's that's how it would go you know that would be me paying my dues like i'm not a nobody but i'm not anything much higher than that i'm like i'm like a step above that i'm like i've been sitting here watching sort of thing but that's about it you know um in in like the greater scheme of it all but also like like, the local market is different too as far as the local people have seen you time after time being at the show of course of course yeah like i spent the last decade down in in santa barbara so i was around um the orange county repticon frequently uh and basically anything that the the pet shop i worked with did i tried to go to for a few years so but you know we did some up here but yeah it was mostly the socal shows so yeah i think that's something that yeah and carpets are hard sell so yeah it's rough man because as babies they just it just doesn't give them enough credit even close especially sure. you know if you're messing with jungles or even on yeah, yeah. ij even like a granite or something like that i mean yeah 
everything, everything. you know doesn't <laughs> look as good yeah they they all do that they all have that ugly duckling face yeah um, and then also you can exactly most of them are nippy too and they come out yeah yeah but bring an adult and watch people flock and sit and want to hold it and drool over it like um owen was talking about he brought his bread lie to that show y'all did and uh everybody was you know was really stoked on seeing that adult female bread lie so um i think uh i think people are starting to realize bringing adults helps you know put it into perspective what somebody's looking at because yeah a nice you know black and yellow jungle as a baby is like black and gray and like just kind of ugly like doesn't look good but we know what it's going to look like you know somebody who's just getting into them doesn't know that and so you either have to show them like right in front of them what it's going to look like or convince them that you're you know you're not just selling them your words you're you're selling them the truth you know right so so you said you have seven carpets going this year, right? Mm-hmm. And so Hopefully. with those, I mean, is each thing a different, is each pairing something different you're going for? Are they all around yeah. the same? Um, they all are um, like, like as far as genetically and, and subspecies, yeah, they're all, they're all different and they're all kind of going at different times, which is not um, unexpected. So I have, uh, a pair of uh, Western Popwin carpets that I got as little uh, farm hatched imports a couple years ago. Um, and they've locked up a few times. The male's in shed right now, so I've got them separated. Unfortunately, I'd love to have them in, but the female ovulated or is close to, um, and she's got marble-sized um, follicles and are just massive. She's absurdly huge, and she hasn't eaten in months. And she's small. She's like 850 grams. Um, don't ask me why I know that because I never weigh my snakes. But um, <laughs> she, she's like she's in a 41 court and it's like spacious for her. Um, so I'm hoping to get some you know nice wild caught blood, um, pure popwin babies from that. Um, going for a, a striped jungle carpet python pair. A uh, pair of zebras. Um, I have so that's that's the jungles. Those are so it kind of goes like um, popwins or ijs and coastals and jungles tend to go first, and it's usually popwins and jungles first, then coastals and darwins, and then you have your spring breeders being your bread lie inlands diamonds, um, which I do not have any of those going this year. Um, and so then I have a tiger male who's been doing work with a caramel female and they're looking like they're kind of done. Um, and she's getting big. And then, and then I have a pair of, yeah, I have a het albino male Darwin going to a visual female and I haven't seen much from them yet, but it, there's still plenty of time. And then I have two sort of like morph pairs that are crosses. Um, so I have an exanthic zebra male going to, an exanthic coastal female as well as a super zebra head exanthic female. So um, being coastal and jungle, their timing should still be right around that first, you know, grouping of animals to go. Um, although I haven't seen much more than, you know, good cuddling and some swelling out of them yet. Nothing super confirmed, maybe a lock out of the, the super zebra, but hard to say. So you, 
Meaning that's a zebra to a zebra, or you have a super zebra? No, it's a zebra to a super. Um, so it's a it's a male exanthic zebra. So the visual uh, homozygous exanthic to a super zebra female that is the uh, single gene copy the heterozygous exanthic. Now, so every everything should be zebras and supers, and then visuals and hats. Now, I don't know if this is like an old school thing because I haven't been paying attention to it a lot, but do the zebras still have like pigtails? And for females, does that affect them? For males, does it affect them? You know what I'm talking about? The the super zebras? Yeah. Yeah. So it's still present where they'll get the like right at the end of the tail. It almost looks like um, it gets folded over at the tip and just sort of smushed or it'll have like a little end, but it's always at the tip. You rarely see anything beyond that. And um, I've read a lot of what Nick has, uh, Nick Mutton has commented on and posted about in discussions and things. And he's, he seems to experience the more you like outcross where the zebra is coming from, from like different related animals that it tends to reduce itself. But I, I think it's just part of the trait. I don't know if that's true or not. I think it's, it's always there, but it doesn't seem to ever be dramatic enough to affect anything. And if, if there's kinking that is bad, I wouldn't say that's necessarily the zebra trait. That might be like incubation issues or something else because, yeah, it's usually just like right at the little tip. It'll just fold over. Okay. So you don't expect any issues with your female? No, no, not at all. She actually – so she she has like a knuckle to her, her tail. Like it kind of does this at the end, and then the end is just very promptly a nub. Um, and she actually belongs to Terrell Ziegler – um and i don't remember if it's i'd have to i'd have to look closely if it's folded over if it was like nipped off as a baby or something like that because that's also really common like if it's really bad and like the shed is getting stuck there very early on like if you see the first shed on a super zebra starting to have issues at that fold and it's like getting caught and you know it's going to have issues later on you're always going to be soaking it at that point, there really isn't bone in the tip, and it's all just – you can literally take, like, nail clippers just, and then take quick stop and just stop it, and it'll callus over the next shed, and you'll never have issues with it again. Um, that's for really extreme ones if you see shed issues with it. That is one thing that I've heard, and that's an old school trick. I've never heard that one before. <laughs> it's like a show dog. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Wrong I mean, Yeah. I get if, if it's you know if it's to the benefit of the animal then it's you know I think it's fully justified if it if the animal seems to shed fine there really isn't any need for it it's it's purely an aesthetic thing right so but it is a nice little uh feature if you're trying to distinguish a super from a regular zebra because sometimes it's hard when you've got a lot of other stuff going on like albinos or other um, subspecies in there because albino zebras are alone are just hard to distinguish from regular albinos because they're so light. So sometimes having that extra little indicator, like um, uh, when, when the albino super zebra was uh, first produced, I think that was like kind of the, the nail in the coffin, like for sure it was the super. So was just be just because I mean, when you, the mixed lineage albinos, I mean the contrast with the pattern isn't as because I'm guessing an albino super zebra is patternless. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so when you see an albino zebra, um, 
early on until it has a few sheds the the contrast is just almost non-existent like uh you look at them and they're just really hard to pick out and because the head is so pink you can't just look at the really busy head pattern because all you see is just this pink smudge which which could just you know like it doesn't mean anything so um i've never produced them personally but everybody i talk to and seen photos is like yeah it's it's kind of a crapshoot you gotta wait so you gotta give them a few sheds let that that color and that and that pigment come in a little bit more so so do you have any qualms with you know jungle to coastal that kind of thing it doesn't nah no i think whatever you do as long as it makes sense if you've got an audience for it go for it i think you know for me personally i wouldn't do my line seems to be um uh, i don't cross any like bread lie with um the spilota stuff because that's like full, full species. species to me full species hybrid for whatever reason like i'm sure i could find a, an exception to my rule in another completely different animal but um as far as morelia goes that's where i would draw the line that being said the only crosses that i have are the exantic zebra stuff um everything else i try to keep either um like documented pure or like it's undocumented like with jungles having undocumented doesn't necessarily mean um there is something else in there it's just like it came from a show or back when somebody didn't keep records or lost records you know things like that i think um you know depending on who you ask i'm okay with that depending on who you ask it might vary so i just to each his own i don't have a problem with it i think you know the the tri hybrids that some people do like whatever do your thing like not for me but and it is what it is like i don't care they're your snakes yeah so <laughs> what was the snake you posted on instagram the other day that like you're saying messes up it's uh tub all the time <laughs> oh yeah he is a cross i forgot about him i always forget about him uh-oh oh no i messed it up Wow, see, you called him out for having another hybrid and he just poofed <laughs> off the side of the earth, man. Technology <laughs> called you out. Think... <laughs> and he's still frozen there. That's the weird thing. I feel like that doesn't happen very often. I don't know. Sorry, my yeah, questions are Ryan, just so bad today. Uh, he brought up the, the scrub berm or whatever. I don't know. I just saw, I didn't know if I it was a berm or a retic. I just saw a big yellow snake with a scrub and i just scrolled past it i didn't even want to look because someone is apparently has a male scrub with i guess it's a berm you know bino berm and uh that makes a lot of sense my question is always like just why but i guess that question doesn't make any sense because there's just why do we do any of this why do we at do all any of it? yeah so, so i can't ask just why i mean you do it because you want to and that person wanted to and okay and that i guess that, like, is that like, just the answer to everything because i want to yeah, and it is kind of, but it's like, how much, I guess you can just allow anything, because it's not like, I mean, we're not dealing with animals in the wild here, obviously, they're not going anywhere, they're going to stay in the captive environment, especially a scrub berm, but, and it's no one's not ever going, going to accidentally think that that's pure for anything because I, mean, I don't even know what the hell that's gonna look like but it's surely not gonna look like anything that's pure but i mean i don't think with the amount of scrubs that are i just feel like that person didn't have a scrub female 
I just felt like they had a scrub and they had a berm. So they said, yeah, let's do it. It wasn't a... I want to breed something this year and this is what I got. It wasn't like they bought a scrub five years ago for a... Had this in their plant. They probably bought an import and fucking threw it in there or something ridiculous. And then they're going to say that they can breed scrubs or something like that. Who knows? But uh, yeah, I don't know if there's much. I mean, yeah. Again, the answer to everything in the snake world could be because I want to. And what are you going to say? Because that's why we're doing any of this is because we want to. We want to. We're not doing anything else, like because we like it because you want to. So What's more destructive? We're not hurt, but we're not destructing anything because you said it's not going anywhere. That's what anywhere. I'm saying. There's much more destructive things in this hobby that would bring us down a lot faster than someone crossing a scrub with a bird. Right. Like it feels wild to us, but it's not it's not harming anything. Yeah. It's not harming anything or anyone. So like we just got to, you know, like be like, "Okay, you wanted to do that. Cool." And I want you know, to make this random well, yeah, corsic morph and that's it. Pure stuff, and they can keep on doing that. But I mean, the issue that we face as a hobby is people either putting out negative image of our hobby as a whole, which happens often through the media and stuff like that. Or you know, there's always stories about yeah, but a scrub berm, a getting... scrub berm isn't gonna exactly. But that's what I'm saying. Media. So, like, what's more important? <laughs> Then, like, someone gets, you know, the Humane Society called on them or whatever the hell it is, and their whole thing gets confiscated, and then it's in the newspaper that they had 200 snakes, or some idiot wants to throw a scrub with a berm. See, but you're calling them an idiot, and you can't do that. <laughs> no. Nah. Because to the outside world, they are no different than us putting our corn snakes together, you know? Like, to someone who's not in the snake world. So... Also, we're all thrown in this same basket with with the rest of the world, right? Like we are in the same. We're in the subset. We're supposedly in the same boat as the scrub berm guy and everyone else. (laughs) So, I know, but they don't know any better. No, yeah, that's true. So, as a whole, we need to just not be idiots. That would be great. But I don't, and I don't think that idiot for that. No, no, no. But that doesn't mean mixing that. Right. That doesn't make him. I think it's short sighted. Maybe. I think we've always said, I mean, this is how I always viewed it, and I think you said it too, that like, okay, you can do all that, but as long as you properly identify it and, you know, sell it for what it is, then I'm okay with it. Because that just seems to be the downfall of all the hybridization and mixing stuff is that it's not sold as what it truly is yeah no one's gonna be like hey can i get a berm but can you make it a little bit more athletic and want to bite my face like can you do that for me like who wants if they would if they were to sell it to some random person excited to see what it looks like who's never been in the snake world they could sell it as who doesn't know any you know i just yeah but i always say way that person is not going to be successful with a 12 foot berm scrub it's not going to get past f1 i mean the babies probably aren't you know it's probably all going to be sterile anyway what do you think about that berm scrub riley an abomination (laughs) (laughs) but i don't care that's his snake (laughs) guess what guess what they're gonna make babies and good luck selling them that's it um it's a silly picture to begin with just that scrub just looking like a little boy 
It was like a, it was like somebody going on a date with uh, an NBA uh, center. <laughs> yeah, if that was a female and yeah, the male was a little guy. Yeah, sorry about that. My phone died, and uh, I have a faulty charger port on the actual phone. Um, so I, it's like rolling the dice if it's on the charger or not. So we're good now. Cool. Joe, Joe was living that life for a little bit, hanging it off the nightstand to charge it. And it yeah, you got to get it just right and finagle it. Jiggle yeah. it and prop it up on something. Yeah, yeah. Um, to answer your question, that was a a striped uh, possible super caramel albino. So I don't know if he's a super or not because the albino and the way the caramel gene works, you just got to breed it to tell. But yeah, he's a... Uh, He's got things on his mind. Why is he messing it up all the time? Just because he wants to do it? Yeah, he feels... he He's picking up all the pheromones of all the females. He doesn't do that the rest of the year. Really? Yeah. And he's and if the I only put snake food, who does that? I, uh, to that degree, yeah. Yeah, and if I put food in front of him, he'd blow right past it. He wouldn't even care. That's so interesting. Yeah. So... But he's not breeding this year. Maybe next year. Oh, you're just really frustrating him, Riley. Well, I don't know. You know, I, it wasn't in the cards. His, his female's not ready, and you know, he just, you know, he happened to hit his spurt early. So, like, whatever, it's his fault. Yeah, I'm sure you don't always get a mate in the wild, even if you want. Yeah, humans. Yeah, he's he's a 2016, so he's pretty big. Um, he's a two year old male, so he's definitely good to go. And what kind of like behavior as a whole? Because I know my males get weird as far as my carpets. They kind of change a little bit. So what behaviors as a whole do you find different during this time of the year? They're really twitchy. They're like, they freak out when I touch them. They're like, ah, don't touch. Ah. They like freak out when I touch them. They like freak out. They'll just like take off or like really get moving um, where they don't normally do that the rest of the year. Normally they're kind of just like go with the flow or bite me thinking I'm feeding them or um, just kind of go in the other direction. But like, yeah, they're really twitchy right now. <laughs> yeah. I think it's, I don't know why I've made like carpet Python videos in the winter when they're like hitting me in the face and like doing all this weird shit. Like they just lose control yeah, of their bodily flailing. function and just start yeah. hitting me like, not biting me, just hitting me with their head and moving around weird. And it's like, come on, man. Yeah. I've found that I don't, um, I don't really handle my females this time of year. Um, I kind of just leave them alone. Um, even with other species. And I feel like the ones that are like always on the fence with being friendly or not, they slip to that, like not so friendly side this time of year, uh, because of it. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's also, I mean, even, with corn snakes when we cycle them and they come out of brumation and oh my gosh we were watching the like re-watching videos and i remember how fucking psycho they were last year after brumation like i've never seen corn snakes like that yes like i swear this snake is tame but i don't know if you cycled it if it would always be that way because they can just be individuals they were they're just hungry they were so crazy yeah, they're hungry. I mean, they haven't eaten in two to three months, and they're also ready to mate and do all this stuff. So I guess you don't blame them. Yeah. 
uh, Brandon in the chat is already knowing that I'm about to shut this down because it's 8.59. <laughs> and he said, can we have a three-hour show for Christmas? <laughs> well, I will be gone. So I have a Saints game to watch. Oh, that's true. And uh, by and the way, I'm sure Riley has a life. Nah, <laughs> he's like, <laughs> not at all. I don't. <laughs> We're like, so somewhere else to be other than talking to us. I don't know. <laughs> I, I just have to like finally catch up on Red Dead Redemption too. Oh, is that what Evan was talking about? Evan was asking people about some game on yeah, Xbox. I think it. he said Red Dead. Evan's yeah, I have not. I haven't made any time for that, and I finally think I'm gonna do that a little bit. But I don't know. I'm on a drawing kick lately, so maybe not. Ooh, you can draw. You well, I guess no. You can't draw life? while you play video games. No, you can't do them together. That's tough. Although I haven't tried, so maybe I shouldn't speak on it until I try it. Yeah, don't. I mean, nothing's impossible, Riley. Have you ever We're gonna done, make it a new sport. Have you done art professionally? Uh, no. Um, I've taken it uh, in school, of course, but I've always just done it as like a hobby on my own thing. Ever since I was a little kid, um, I've always just been into like drawing, and uh, I did a little bit of painting for a while, but mostly just like pen and ink uh, or pencil drawing. And it's always just been something that I've done off and on my whole life. So I'm surprised you haven't um, been wrangled in to do like carpet fest shirts and stuff. Shh, don't say anything i'm hoping they won't recruit me um no i uh i did uh, i did brandon wheeler's logo um i did my logo and then uh i'm working on one for a friend of mine's uh like camera photography production company um because he does a lot of like wedding photos and uh professional album um type stuff uh so i'm gonna do uh another logo for him i've done a few pictures for him just for fun he's also like had me do pictures for his clients to like accompany like a wedding photo album randomly so like i did a replica drawing like a rec uh like a recreation drawing of like this one couple's wedding cake uh and he sat there and he like filmed it it took forever uh, because I had to do all these little ruffles on this cake. And I was just like, uh, it just took forever. But it was really cool. It was a really neat little add-on. It was fun to do. So You know, that's like uh, a thing nowadays to get it at the wedding. Yeah, yeah. So, like, I did it ahead of time. So, when he gave it to her, like, it was boom. So, yeah, that was cool. It. Like, I, I know people who've gotten, like, you know, right when they're saying I do, there's like a guy there drawing it. You get, it's like live draw. I don't know. Oh, you, sweet. Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's a thing now that couples either get it at the reception or at the, oh, they wow. choose a moment that they want to be like drawing and they have the person there at the wedding, like drawing it right there for Kinda them. Kind of lame. Kind of cool. Yeah. But Riley would be I, really good at it. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. I can't do that. <laughs> Okay. That sounds that sounds difficult, you know, like wind blowing outside. That's a no no. Um, yeah, I, I got to be in the zone. I got to have like my table and pens. I got to make a mess. I, I yeah, no, that's that. You don't want to wear a suit I, and <clears throat> too much pressure. Oh, I would ruin a suit. You would see the sleeve and be all filthy afterwards. Yeah, no, that would that'd be no no. 
I forget what we were just talking about. Oh, no, not I was snake trying related. to get this You're back. trying to get back to snakes. Not talking well, about weddings. So, uh, are we ending it or are you guys going for three hours? No, I want Riley to be able to play his video game. Yeah, we can't take Riley's home. I'm kind of hungry. Guys. I want to, like, go get pretzels. I'm not, I'm not playing video games tonight. No, that's happening, like, tomorrow. <laughs> wow okay um well you guys can keep talking i'm going to go well, watch the saints to get game on Riley's level. um we would have to leave the show to do that oh um <laughs> uh, but before i go a little no one on the download is gonna understand anything they'll hear the noises um, maybe. But before I leave, I want to do a little aside and thank everyone who follows us on Instagram because we got to our goal. That, you know, we were talking about There's goals. Some weird noises coming from Riley. Right I know, now. very strange noises. I'm petting. I'm petting the cat. He keeps coming it in the snake room. Like which... <laughs> Get out of here, cat! You're making me sound weird on on the radio thing. Um, okay, wait, you fudged <laughs> up my thank you. One of our goals Sorry. for a while, not you, it was your, your fault, um, was to hit 10K, which we know like a lot of people out there are much bigger, but like that was a goal for us. And so thank you to everyone who's followed us recently and who has been there forever. We finally hit 10K, and I think it's awesome. Our lives totally changed overnight. Yeah. Ten K is huge. That's awesome. It was very exciting. At you can like now swipe yeah, up. eleven. Oh yeah, now we can <laughs> post stories that have like swipe up links. So we were very much excited about that. Oh cool. Um, it was just we're thankful to everyone who has supported us. And... Melissa wanted to post a ten thousand or yeah a ten K post, and we did a five K post once and we lost like twenty <laughs> followers immediately and got it. and then we were at like four thousand something at it was our five really awkward. Post. So then you did it again. So, so I was like, no, I'm never going to He wouldn't whatever. let me make a ten K post. So this is my ten K thank you. Yeah, Brandon's like, Wow, people- you guys can now advertise products in your story, which like doesn't sound good for the people who follow us. So I didn't know that that's what that because I, I know they give you different milestones like I just learned that you have to hit a thousand um, subscribers to get the like little like post notification like a reminder thing I don't even know what like, that you have is. to have <laughs> yeah so like on YouTube like to uh, post ahead of time that you're going to be going live in like four hours you have to have a thousand subscribers it's like some community post thing oh you can do the premiere thing yeah what i'm not sure what it's called but yeah i was looking into that because i kept seeing other people doing that i'm like where's that button but uh, well no i kept on doing like uh oh sick they uploaded a video and then it just says premiere then i'm like okay i'm not gonna do this because it's very misleading i'm excited for a video then i click on it and it doesn't do anything yeah yeah it's like a little thumbnail i think uh it's like a a reminder like uh oh coming up but i'm like the equivalent of a chimp i just click the click the picture i just see the picture and i click it and then i don't i don't learn that it's not an actual video yeah joe won't remember that it's coming later so it serves no purpose for his brain (laughs) it's almost like there's a whole concept of 
baiting people on their clicks <laughs> using pretty pictures. <laughs> what is, could that be about? I don't know. Is someone trying to dupe us? <laughs> is someone just trying to keep our attention every second of the day? <laughs> nah, I'm playing. That's clever. It's funny. I mean, YouTube's just trying. <laughs> no, yeah, I think it is what it is. It's the world we live in. It's hard because we're all trying to figure out how to get attention without seeming like attention-starved crazy people. people. <laughs> sure. Well, I mean, ultimately, the bottom line is uh, all is fair in love and war, really. And, like, there aren't any rules about what you can and can't do as long as you're not doing anything illegal. Like, it's a tool. Use it. If, you know, we don't like it, that's, you know, what we don't like. And... People can do what they want, you know, if they want to use it, go for it. If people choose to use it excessively or in educational ways, then that's their choice. If people choose to not use it, that's their choice too, you know, like it, it's really a tool like, um, you know, if, if somebody is like really successful, maybe it's because they use it well or or maybe just happened to be that they use that while they were getting successful. Like who knows, but um, I don't know. I feel like it's kind of you know, waste of energy to like hate on it, like use it or don't. And, uh, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I, uh, I found a soapbox. I decided to stand on it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's just both the, I mean, we fall into the realm of like a, I don't know, like, we're not typically like speaking for me and you like we're not typically known to be like youtubers like i don't think i think that that's a weird thing that like we although we have youtube channels i don't think we're yeah. really youtubers but i think there's also a difference we've talked about this between youtubers and pet tubers yeah well yeah not pet tubers <laughs> Yeah, I don't think I'm even a pet tuber. I don't think I would even earn that distinction. I think I'm too lazy about it. Uh, I don't have, you know, more than like a clip-on lens for my phone, a microphone, and a little editing app, and like, you know, a few bells and whistles. I don't even know how to make clickbait thumbnails, okay? So like, let me just put that in perspective. I couldn't be on that level if I tried. Um, so kudos to them for being that creative because I see all that, like, just like the little red ring around the box. I'm like, ooh, I clicked. Oh, wait, I turned into Joe for a second. <laughs> and uh, no, but it, I mean, there's obviously a reason why it worked, right? So like, whatever, hats off to him. Like, I can't do it. So <laughs> I'm not I'm not talented enough in that regard. So, yeah. I mean, what are your like aspirations for doing all this stuff if you no no i'm just wondering because no, like, you do i thought you were gonna ask him what his talents are this many <laughs> like like what are all your aspirations for doing all this stuff <sighs> but like like for youtube yeah well the whole i guess like i had originally started an account just so i could like watch other stuff that was going on there and like keep a like an ongoing list of stuff to go back to so i had had it years ago but i didn't do anything with it and then um once i moved up here and when i was in between jobs and had more free time i, I just decided to make a point of doing more i'd had a, a few things up there but like i really hadn't put any solid effort into it 
and I had heard a lot of people say there wasn't any like um, carpet python content on there at all. And I was like, well, I have carpet pythons. I know like a couple things about them. I could film them maybe. And a few of us started doing it. And so like I decided to try it. And like at first I was really embarrassed um, because one, my vid video quality sucked. Um, the end result was not what I had hoped. And I didn't know what to say. And I was like clearly awkward on camera. So like for a while um, I would like post something and then delete it or like just go months without doing anything. And then I finally just decided um, to buck up and do it. But I wanted it to like put more carpet python stuff out there because if you go look out in the YouTube realm, there there isn't a ton other than like <clears throat> you know showing off some at a table at a show or you know somebody feeding or something like that. There isn't a, a lot out there, and I feel like there's a huge like uh, vacancy on what could be out there. <coughs> yeah, that is a community that doesn't have a like outspoken. As far as YouTube goes, I mean, an outspoken kind of leader, you know, the people who in Morelia just haven't gotten around to, to YouTube, I guess. But but I understand why, like, after looking at um, MoreliaPythons.com and, like, paying attention to how things used to exist in that culture of the forums and um, not that it was, like, secretive, but it was, like, they wanted you to earn your knowledge and learn it, like by putting in the work, not just by grabbing all the knowledge from everyone you can and just, you know, they wanted you to earn your stripes and it was kind of more of a, a respected like community of, of like sort of family members. And like, you couldn't just come in and like, you know, tornado your way through things. You had to kind of earn it. And so YouTube is very open and like, there's no borders about any of that. And so it's kind of, it's kind of the antithesis of what, the carpet python community is because it's not a lot of people just going yeah 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 yeah, yeah. like all this information everywhere it's like a couple people keeping this information and sharing it amongst themselves already you know we're not broadcasting it because a lot of people don't know about it or it's just not they don't care about it so it's just kind of been a weird transition into it lately and the more i do it the more i find that like i don't want to do the same style videos about my carpet pythons that I see people doing with ball pythons or anything else, because although there are morphs and it is cool to show off the variety, I, I don't know. I feel weird doing it. It just doesn't, every time I put together like clips, it just, the end result is just, I don't, I don't see the relevance to it. Like I want something more important to be put out there. Like if somebody searches for carpet pythons on YouTube, what I've come up with so far has not been like that satisfying for me. Um, so far, you know, some of the videos that I put out have been stoked on. Some of them are just like, okay, that information's, you know, been done by other people. This is just my take on it. And I just wanted to put my version out there. Um, the carpets and coffee thing's been fun because it just kind of evolves as it goes. Nine times out of 10, I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing this morning, but hello and it ends up you know working out just fine um and i get a lot of people telling me afterwards that like you know they have ideas for something we can talk about the next week or they really enjoyed this or they didn't know about that and tons of people are now messaging me in greater volume in greater frequency asking about them and um you know trying to be more informed uh before making purchases and like getting into them and i'm finding a lot more 
people that reach out to me are like new owners or prospective new carpet python owners and um that's pretty cool i'm i'm pretty happy with that so it's nice to see that it's growing and getting some attention so at least that part of it is working out i I, there's still more that i'd like to do with it i'm just not sure what that is i think it is like a good platform though to have an open discussion with people and like it's hard in a video once you put something in the video and if you don't explain yourself like in the way that you want to and then someone comments and you're like oh yeah that's not like exactly what i meant or i wish i elaborated about this or that you know on something like interactive or live you can have you know people ask you direct questions and go in for five minutes on something and really elaborate on stuff yeah it was cool we did a full um Two weeks ago, I ended up doing a full like live demonstration of how to palpate a female inspecting for follicles. And that came because somebody watching asked, <laughs> I think. It was just kind of on the spot. So it's been fun. Um, <clears throat> it was just a, like a random idea because saying carpets and coffee sounded funny one morning. And, um, and yeah, it's been going for like three months now. <laughs> so... No, that's legit. Do you feel like, I don't know, is it, I guess, because we, you know, kind of do the same, like a similar thing on YouTube and like talking to people, like even, even in the beginning, it was like just satisfying to have an open dialogue with people who cared. You know what I mean? Like, because it seems like sometimes you put stuff out there, especially like on YouTube, like we'll put stuff out on YouTube, like a video and like, Mm -hmm. we don't get many views just because like the algorithm doesn't go out there and like sure it's nice to know that there are people listening and people interested and yeah even if it's like 10 or 20 like you know i noticed like a a slight steady incline in numbers but like we're talking going from 5 to 17 like nothing outrageous and that's okay um because like even if one person uh comes away going like whoa dude like i didn't know that or i didn't know those are out there you know then it then it was worth it um and you know it's only going to grow as big as it needs to be and i don't know what that number is so if it's helping people you know i'll let it do what it does um shoot what was i going to say about it there's something everyone in the chat is asking for carpets and coffee t-shirt and a carpets and coffee (laughs) mug yeah (laughs) i gotta come up with a logo for that first um Actually, my girlfriend has an idea for a logo. She's given me a rough sketch for it that I think is pretty rad. So we might um, polish that one up. Um, The mugs, I actually have been meaning to talk to a few people about because I've seen some other people get them, but like they make one for themselves or something because they're actually not that cheap to get made in um, like a small bulk. Like if you like it's you gotta buy like a hundred of them for it to be like 10 bucks a mug or something like that which is still kind of a lot like i don't know what a a mug retails for but i feel like (laughs) you know that that's kind of eating it all up if you add shipping on or whatnot so like i don't know i've got to find an economical way to do it but it would make sense to have that sort of uh um little add-ons given the uh the segment and and how it's still around and people haven't told me to uh to can it yet (laughs) well (laughs) no one can tell you what to do man don't let them tell you what to do don't feed them 
Don't feed the chills. No, but no, that's true. But like, if it wasn't helping anybody, or like, yeah. if nobody was watching and nobody was telling me, like, dude, this is awesome, then I, w- I would have stopped a while ago. So, like, if it's gonna exist, it's gonna exist, right? Yeah. So, so what time do you usually do those, and what day? Um, it's always at sun on Sundays and I try to do them like eight thirty and nine is when I do them. Um, and I, I haven't stayed with a consistent time, honestly, because I want to, uh, see what people's responses are. And I've even done it at like seven thirty or like nine thirty. Um, and so there's like this happy medium of like, for some people it works at this time and some people it doesn't. So, so far right now, <coughs> excuse me, the, uh, the eight thirty uh a.m sunday morning slot seems to be uh the best time for it especially if i go over because then it doesn't cut into football and at first i liked i like keeping it at like 10 15 minutes so i did a few at 9 30 specifically so i'd keep it at 10 15 minutes so i wouldn't go into my football time um but then i found i was sitting around waiting for it for so long because i get up early and people were hitting me up early about it so i started doing it earlier so um i like feedback on it so for now i think 8 30 is kind of when it'll be um and it just kind of was born out of me not necessarily having time to put together nice like well thought out and orchestrated videos while i was doing some online school so yeah it's definitely like you can get out more even more information and like just in that setting yeah doing having to edit a video and doing all that shit yeah because like let's be honest we only have so much time in the day and uh sometimes we're just not like uh, there the reason why i don't have consistent like well put together videos as well as this right now is because i've kind of said a few things already put some stuff out there isn't a ton that like i'm super inspired to put videos together of at this moment that will change as it does when i get a you know a little spark of inspiration or an idea or an idea of how to like ah that's a good way to like demonstrate it or show it um you know then i'll do something that's sort of how those ones are are being born right now for me anyway um but it's nice because I didn't want to lose an audience that I was starting to grow before I had started doing the live stream because people do want to see more about carpet pythons. So, yeah, I don't, I have trouble keeping my motivation to do something like even, you know, we try to do one a week, but it's like, sometimes it just, it feels like it's killing you just to make a video. And it's so stupid because it's not like hard. It's time consuming. And then when I break it down, like it's not that time consuming, but there's just something that is holding me back. And I just, but sometimes I'll get that spark and then it's done like immediately or I'm pumped to do it. Right. Yeah. And you don't want to put out an inferior product because that's a projection of you. So yeah, you can just make a shitty video, I guess, if you wanted to. Yeah, the, the 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 question I ask myself at the end of like when I put together an edit or something is like if if somebody's scrolling through what they're looking for and this happens to be like the answer to their question is this going to be something they're going to be like pleased they found and watched or is this going to be something they're going to be like well that was a big waste of time and and so that's kind of how I decide whether or not to publish it or leave it up or even make it um, because ultimately if it's not you know gonna have a purpose what is the point so 
Well, I know that one of my only videos to ever like hit the algorithm correctly was a shitty video that I did like as my second or third video ever. And <laughs> and it has like over 200k views, but we don't get like any subscribers off of it because it's shitty and like no one likes uh, it. You know, so it's yeah. like that's my one of my worst videos is the one that actually made it. So from there on out, I'm like, I gotta do at least all decent videos. Do less. <laughs> <laughs> do less, but do, do more. Do less. Yeah, I um, <clears throat> I posted that when I first got my um this new phone well when it was new three years ago or two and a half years ago or whatever i also had a young boyga cyanea and i it had a slow-mo feature and i got a slow-mo video of a tongue flicking and i posted it on facebook and somebody shared it and it got like something like twenty-two thousand or 2200 shares and like 120 something thousand views and all this and i was like whoa where did that come from? And it happened in like two days. And I was like, well, I'll, I'll put that on my YouTube. And I put it on YouTube and it didn't get anything. I was like, well, what the hell, man? So <laughs> I don't, I don't, I stopped trying. Like that's the most effort and thought I've put into like anything view or subscriber related ever since then. It's just been like, okay, carpet pythons or, or not, or, you know, et cetera. Otherwise it's just not happening. So. Yeah, I've, there's definitely been plenty of things where I'm like, this is the one, and I post it up and no one gives a shit. There's been a bunch of those, yeah. actually. It's funny. Yeah. More often than not. <laughs> yeah, some of my favorite videos are the ones that are like least watched, viewed, liked, or otherwise, or most disliked. I, I um, For like the first couple months, I was hazed quite frequently by like non-account accounts, <laughs> and like... Dude, it was awesome. Brian, uh, Brian Cusco and I would have this like ongoing discussion about any time I would post a video, um, I would get like a ton of dislikes. And it happened to be in this time where in his blog we had hung out for like a week or so, and I was in like several of his blogs, and each one of them tanked as far as the likes and dislikes. And I was like, dude, I'm a curse. Like, watch. And then the next one he put up, it was like record number of dislikes for any of his videos. And I was like, you're welcome. And so, uh, yeah, that's 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 a YouTube algorithm cheat. If you want good thumbs down quality, feature this guy. Oh, well, we already got one thumbs yeah. down on this podcast. So, woohoo. See, told you. It starts early. <laughs> Don't worry. We're 15 to 1, though. We're still in positive, positive realms. Hey. That's green. That's green. We'll take it. <laughs> yeah. But it's just, I mean, yeah, it's silly. If you ever kind of put yourself worth based on YouTube views or anything like that, man, you like, that's just such a bad way to go about it. Because people, you know, people don't, they feel bad about themselves and they project it on other people. And sometimes they don't realize that people are spending a lot of time making a video or trying to put information out there. So I don't know. Even, yeah, even yeah. if I don't like something, I try to respect it to a certain degree, you know, anyone yeah, I've been, guilty. I've been guilty of it. So, you know, it's, it's hard. We all slip up. We're all human, you know, tell me about your so. trolling days. You troll on everyone's YouTube comments, uh, leave nasty no. Yelp reviews. No, but I used to be like, uh, uh, like a, 
five, six years ago, I used to like be a serious disliker. <laughs> <laughs> that was about as serious as I got. I would give you mad thumbs down. I would like go out of my way to give you thumbs down. Wow, man. But that's it. I'm hardcore. Yeah, chill, dude. Yeah. So maybe this is all just coming back to you. Maybe that's probably I, des- I deserve it. I'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that. Nah, it's it's we we lose ourselves in the digital world. I do it too. I'm human, you know. It's uh it's all good. It's it's there's a lot going on it, lately there's a lot more things uh to stress about than uh that stuff. So uh trying to stay focused on that. Trying. Just regular life or other snake stuff? Both. Both, man. Just like everything. Like it's really easy to get stressed and spiral and like lose, you know, your composure. That's just kind of human nature. So it's all about how you pick yourself up from it, right? Mm -hmm. So. Anyway, man. More snakes. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, we got off on a tangent there. That was deep. Yeah, shit, dude. What are we going to do? So, uh, thanks for coming on on our Christmas show. Is that what oh, we call it? The it? Christmas, yeah, the holiday show. The holiday right. show. Holiday show, yeah. is I guess people are probably... Is it Hanukkah still? Is that... I, I don't know yeah, what that is. I don't think it's been however many nights yet. <clears throat> yeah, I'm not... I am, I'm very culturally, like, not up to speed, so... But, um... Yeah. Happy holidays to everybody. Hope everybody that's out there where it's snowing and icy is getting to wherever they're going safely. I don't have to deal with icy, snowy roads, but I have been on plenty of them and that sucks. So hope everybody gets where it they're going. Does it snow safely. at all up there? Um, not like directly here. Like I'm sure there's been like a few times where it's gotten cold enough where it has, like at night, but not like you shoveling your sidewalk in your driveway. Um, but we're maybe two hours away from, you know, mountains that get good snow and, and uh, good ski and snowboard uh, hills. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, fuck yeah, man. I, once again, appreciate you coming on like three minutes notice. It's all good, man. I was chilling. And had no no issues. And if anyone needs to figure out how to reach you or check out what you're doing, where can they look you up? Um, my YouTube is just under Riley Jimison, and then I'm on Instagram and Facebook under Riley's Reptiles, or just my name. You can hit me up. I'm not hard to find. Sweet. All right, guys. PortCityPythons.com. We were supposed to mention Southeast Carpet Fest. Sorry, Ian, I forgot again to mention Southeast Carpet Fest in the beginning of the show, but we're doing it now, which is second best, I guess. But Cara, Southeast Carpet Fest, someone help me out in the comments. I think it is in February. That's coming up in February. Yeah, I think it's on the 9th, right? February 9th? Let's go with that. Or 18th? And it, or 18th, or, you know, who knows? It's in February. Get a hold of uh, Get a hold of Ian... Ian Bissell, he's he's usually the grand wizard, the grand poobah of that, right? Yeah, and I believe it as Cody and Pia Bartolini's house, and I'm not sure exactly yeah. where they live in Florida. I don't know if you do. Uh, I do not. 
Sick. So you're going to go to their house somewhere in Florida. (laughs) (laughs) Melrose, Florida, Ryan Cox said. So I'm not sure exactly where that is in Florida, but. I think they have a a Facebook page or event for it. And if they don't have it up yet, they should have uh, like their T-shirts and stuff going up soon. And so you should start seeing more posts for it. And if any of our breeders or anyone listening wants to donate something or, and I'm sure they're going to have an auction online as well. If we want to buy things on the auction. Yeah. Yeah. They're going to be switching it up this year. They're going to do something really cool. I don't know if it's public yet, so I'm not going to spoil it yet, but they're going to, they're going to have their t-shirts and then there's going to be the actual auction. And um, yeah, they're going to do something pretty cool with it this year. So I don't want to, I don't want to spoil anything, so I'll I'll wait till Ian and the, those guys announce it. Unless it's, a, I just don't know if it's public yet. But yeah, are you talking about where the certainly. donations are going? Money yeah, wise. they've got a really cool idea for this year. So um, yeah, I don't want to say more than that. <laughs> yeah, was I don't know. Now you're making me tentative about saying it because Ian told me I don't know if that was supposed to be in the the thing, but I have no idea. I don't want to be that guy. So all right. We'll leave it at that. Just <laughs> the money will go it's to a good it. cause and things. Yeah. Yeah. Most definitely. Other than that, next time I'm going to actually, you know, look up all the details. I'll have Melissa write down the details and she'll say it correctly. And we won't do this half ass thing. Sorry, Ian. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, guys, thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you, Riley, for being here. I hope you all have a great two weeks, no matter what you do, believe in or celebrate or whatever the fuck, because we are going to be enjoying ourselves the next couple Monday nights having off. I love talking to you guys, but it'll be pretty sweet to have a break. But I still love you guys. Later. I'm... Beware the Krampus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Krampus. <laughs> All right. Later. I'm bad at ending this. <laughs>